Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When I was in New York, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Today we're infusing Conspiranormal with the Leisure Hour. That's right. And uh, it's going to be a zany time. So uh, grab a beverage and uh, listen in. How you doing, babe? I'm oh, very good, babe. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm, I'm fat and sassy today. Hi, sweetheart. Hey, <laughs> I always want, I always want to say that. I always want to start off the show. I, I always have the tendency to want to start off the show after listening to Leisure Hour and say, hey, babe, every single time. But, you know, <laughs> that's, already that's, your, that's your thing, Jeff. No, no, no. So. Take it. Take it. Wait, can't steal this. Nobody steals these jokes. Well, guys, in the studio tonight, we have the uh, Leisure Hour and Conspiranormal crossover. Over. And Leisure Hour is a show that Rob also produces, and we're all really good friends here. And mm. we got uh, Jeff Heim, the uh, host of the Leisure Hour, with us. Co-host, co-host, co-host. He's and the host. Renee. Renee. Yeah, I'm Renee. Nay, 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 And up? of course, the common denominator over here, Mr. Mm. Rob. How's it going, everyone? Podcast Jesus, <laughs> the Pod Christ, the Pod Christ. Oh, right, right, yeah, right. right. exactly. <laughs> In fact, there's so many of us here that we ran out of mic stands, and Jeff oh. ended up with a broom and some gaff tape. Yes, I did. Is that that, holding up all right. <laughs> yeah, it's doing great. That <laughs> needs to be the cover of this episode too. <laughs> oh, it yeah. is. Oh, it will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the picture up on the site. I want to start off, guys. Tell everybody about your show. I mean, what it is that you guys do. We, you, we have, we should have a lot of people listening. So 
Tell everybody about what you what the show is, what the themes are, what you guys talk about. The idea behind Leisure Hour is supposed to be like a Friday evening happy hour with friends, but it tends to go south very quickly. And um, we 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 typically have comedians over, anybody that's interesting. And um, it's uh, it's just a conversation, but it usually involves alcohol and butt stuff, and and, and a lot of um, butt rectinol, um uh, type uh, activities, and um, <laughs> the um, but it, that's not every show. <laughs> it's not a rectinol theme show. No, no. Some, are, <laughs> um, some are heavier than others. Yeah, some some go a little heavy in the in the back door department, but. Um, it is, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, it is just basically, um, I wanted it to be, you know, you're, you're lounging after a hard week, you're sitting back with a few drinks and, uh, you're venting a little bit and, you know, we hear, we talk about each other's weeks and, uh, usually there, it's more interesting than, you know, you'd think. But <laughs> it's like I'm not selling it right now. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of ranting and raving. There's a whole lot of ranting and raving, and my weird run-ins with uh, superstars uh, usually comes up. But because this is Nashville, and you know that that kind of thing happens. But in either case, um, I just love podcasting. I'm just like crazy about it. So yeah, and uh, I've brought these two along. Kicking and screaming, and I don't even think they like the show. I don't even know. I don't even care. But anyway, though, I um, I make them show up a- in my basement. Uh, that is where it's uh, uh, recorded. That's the, the den of sin. The den of mm-hmm. sin. Yes. Um, so tell everybody about like the people that you have on. You know, some of the the people that because uh, there's a. There's kind of like a little underground comedy scene going on in Nashville right now. Yeah, it's, well, it's huge. It's like way bigger than I thought. and Way bigger than I thought before I even started listening to you guys' show back in from episode one. It's yes. kind of surprising how, how big it's gotten over here. Well, now, uh, our secret weapon is Nene is a woman about town. Yes. And she uh, goes around and like meets these people, and she's got like an inviting personality, whereas I'm a jaded, jaded little man. You have a broom as a mic right now, mic stand. I'm right talking now. into a broomstick, <laughs> like a complete idiot. Um, but no, Nene goes out and she wrangles up these poor souls and and gives them directions to the Denison and. Um, you know, we we ask them what kind of beverage they want. I like it when they show up sober. And um, yeah, you've I, had a couple of people, a couple of guests that have shown up not actually shown up, not sober. Yeah, had already been pre gaming before. That was a yeah. that was an interesting one. Yeah, those were disasters. But the, um, <laughs> that was all the fifteen minute later things. From we've Rob. had some stinkers. People, very funny people, and that's. I mean, that's. <laughs> Be nice about when it. When they're not uh, hostile. <laughs> very, very nice. 
people and Nashville has an amazing comedy scene. I mean, we're up to where I think there's at least two open mic nights a night, which right. is, which is every single day. I swear I get an invite for a new open mic. So it's really cool that, that people are so supportive and getting out there and making it happen. And comedians are not like musicians where they are very self deprecating and like, they're they're just fun to be around. Whereas you know everything, they try to make a joke out of everything, which is nice. Whereas musicians are like, oh, Jesus is speaking through my amp whenever I play, and, blah, blah, blah. and you should look at my hair and all that. You know, all that stuff that we're like tired of. We just want to go away. It's like comedians are just a nice change from that. <laughs> is that it's true, like, Luke? About musicians? Absolutely, because go go to East Nashville. And and talk to anyone. Everyone on their, them is a musician. I don't want to talk about music with anyone. I'm just going to avoid the subject from now on. Right. Well, see, I have these. Oh my God! It is the show. <laughs> You're drunk. <laughs> Talking about guests showing up. We show up. And they're drunk. <laughs> All right. Our influence has shown. <laughs> no, that's totally true. Uh, the other night I was bowling. And this poor bastard next to us was talking about his writing and his songs. And you just think to yourself, to your point, it's like, you're a total tool. There's no way I could emotionally connect with whatever you say. So I think you're, you know, a joke. And I don't want to know anything about you. I don't want to hear your music. But everybody is like trying to ram their demo down your throat. And yeah, it gets old. That's and that's. That's part of the reason why the, the leisure hour came up, and that's mostly what I complain about. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also, I mean, you work like kind of in the music industry, so to speak, since I'm you like the mechanic of the music industry. Since you build amps, that is your business. So you have yeah. a lot a lot of exposure to it, I'd say, than I do. Most. The worst is when somebody calls me up and they say their name and then they mention the band that they're with. Like, I care. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Thank you. I didn't like that band before. But yeah. yeah, no, uh, all I care about is who has the credit card. I do not care what band you're in. It, not at all. So, the, um, yeah, uh, Dan Springer with Church of Crows. Um, is my amp ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, he just said that, and I like died inside. And was like, "Yes, Dan." <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over there like trying to cut my wrist with the chassis of his amp. Because, I, yeah, it's just, it's weird that I I turned into this person that I am. But um, I mean, a lot of them are really cool, and I love a lot of my customers. And I've um. The one cool thing that I can say is I have been on a mil or my work anyway has been on a million huge records. Like I've been on a whole bunch of stuff. That's the only thing that I can brag about. Uh, the rest of it's crap. Well, but were, weren't you clapping in the um, was it the Man of Constant Sorrow song and from? Uh, no, that was his feet. stomping my feet oh, during yeah. uh, the Ku Klux Klan rally. <laughs> 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 Oddly enough. <laughs> I say that oddly because I'm the whitest man ever, and I I don't we, know why they picked me. We just lost anyway. all of our southern listeners, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I um I just happened to be in that studio. That was one of the first like music business, and I'm doing air quotes music yeah. business jobs I ever got was working in a studio, and I was just um I was just babysitting, making sure that they didn't burn the place down. 
And so, but yeah, I got to see that whole record. Uh, the guy that produced it had a pound of marijuana on the console, and uh, he just hired the best musicians. Is that Burnett? Yes, that would be yeah. him. Whom, got to tell you, after that little session, I'm not a big fan of. But hmm. um, um, but anyway, he. Um, I just lost a lot of your other listeners, too. <laughs> <laughs> All our T-Bone Burnett fans yeah. are out there. This you would be, be the listen-to episode out there. They're like, well, I'm done with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> These guys suck. They don't like any of my bands. <laughs> no, uh, T-Bone uh, shows up, and um, I don't know if you've ever heard him speak, but there's a reason why he doesn't really sing very much. He kind of talks like this, and uh, go get me a case of beer. That's kind of what he does, and he just sort of lingers around and smokes weed, and he's basically, you know. Well, a lot of things seem to happen around him. Well, yeah, if you hire Elton John, then, you know, (laughs) like a record will happen. So that's sort of my, he hired Alison Krauss's band to come in and do that song, and, um, you know, he's just a whatever, but... Uh, well, Alison Krauss was like the musical director or something. Well... Of that soundtrack. She wasn't there that whole recording session, but... No, but she put together, like, she had oh, something she? to do okay. with the... Yeah, well, yeah. my boy T-Bone... <laughs> um, <laughs> that probably makes it easy having her on your management staff. I'm sure, yes. And, of course, the Cohen brothers. Right. You know. But, yeah, T-Bone basically sat in front of the console and said... Oh yeah, that's nice. That's good. And um, that was that. I say, is that all you got to do? Because I could have done that in my basement. Yeah, dude, it's like three phrases to be a good producer. Like, oh, I think you got a better one in you. Or how did you feel about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, he was gonna scrap that whole song, and then evidently from listening, he sobered up for a second, and then <laughs> uh, said, "Hey, you know, that's not bad." In between so, bowls. Yeah, <laughs> a literal pound of weed. Okay. And um, I'll never forget the words that he said to me. Um, and this, this touched me forever uh, and changed my life. He came out of the session and he walked right up to the desk and he said, Oh, can you give me a case of beer? <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> well, that was a profound moment in yeah, your life. Yeah, yeah, that was big. It was just like, is that all you're going to do? asked me for a case of beer. Yeah, I didn't go get it, by the way. I, I wasn't there. But, you couldn't even do that, right? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even get that done for such a genius. Um, but yeah, um, I, it's sad because all of these stars will never be friends with me. So anyway, though, so that's what the show's all about. <laughs> What are some of your favorites? Uh, just you know, I know that we have a lot of people listening outside of Nashville, but it's like some of the favorite people that you guys have had on the show. Are some of the like, tell about some of the, the comedians that you guys have seen and you guys have talked to on on the show. I I know. Well, one of my favorites as well is Brad Edwards, and yes. I and I know that's one of Jeff's favorite comedians around town too. As far um, as his stand-up goes, he's. He's one of my favorites that I've seen locally for sure. Yeah, I love Michael Hampton. Yeah. He's he's really fun. Um, Josh, Josh Wagner. Wagner is great. Uh, he he's came so out of the funny. Show and just like ripped us apart. Like it was yeah. awesome. <laughs> he tore us a new one. It was so good. We deserved it. Yeah, dude, he was the one that was talking about your your hair being long and oh, yeah. Yeah. being a good dad. I'm a horrible parent. Like uh, just lit into me. <laughs> Um, Josh and Anna- Josh Anacolia. 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 It's, kind of, it's like tradition. If you come on the show, that 
Jeff will not say your name right. I don't think he's pronounced anyone's name right. Your name could be John Smith and he would still pronounce it wrong. I have to say, it's so bad that I will do like run burgundy vocal exercises before just to get it right and I still don't get it right. I get all excited and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I like try to I get halfway through it and then I want them to like help me through the rest. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. But anyway though. Um yeah. I guess I just get excited. But yes, I always screw up their names. There's a ton of other uh Joe Kelly's great. Um Hannah Hogan Hannah is Hogan's hilarious. Awesome. And Mary, Mary J. Berger. Mary J. Berger. She's great. Uh Dusty Slay. Mm-hmm. Um there's a ton of there's more. I don't want there's more great ones. Um uh, what? Um, who is the guy with? I hate to say this, but who's the guy with cancer? Um, he hasn't been on the show, but what? He's oh, awesome, Jesse. Je- yeah, Jesse Case. I yeah, it's yeah. Jesse Case. He's he really is, funny and in town. Yeah, he, he, we haven't had him on yet, but he's awesome comedian. But there is like excellent comedians in this town now. They are. I mean, it is really <laughs> amazing. It seems you know everybody moves out to L.A., but it's like. All the people in L.A. are already all established and they're, you know, they've got careers going and all that kind of stuff. But here it's like they're hungry and they're ready to party <laughs> and they're ready to really hone down their jokes. And Well, let me ask you, Renee, since you, mm-hmm. you know, you hang out with a lot of these people. What, what do you think is driving this in Nashville? Um, is it because that's... we're kind of becoming a much more of a, I don't know international city in a way that we have so many people that have so many people that have moved here from other parts of the country and from parts of the world. Yeah, I guess, I mean, Nashville has become a pretty hot city. So I guess people are moving out here anyway, or if they're already in the South, they're like, Oh, I want to move to a little bit of a bigger, different city and Nashville's closest to them. But I mean, I I think there's a lot of just really creative people here that are finding each other and finding their little niche and, and getting out there and doing it. And that probably is also helping inspire other people to get up and do it. So see, when it's I moved a disease here, that's contagious. When I moved here in 2003, I, I don't think any of this kind of stuff was even here. And Nashville, I feel like was was very different in it a lot lame. of ways. Mm-hmm. Like it was I, I had uh, yes, I lived in Atlanta for three years before that, and to me, Nashville is kind of like a refreshing change. It was because like, I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then moved mm-hmm. to Atlanta. And so Nashville is kind of like a nice little median between. And now I've noticed that Nashville has become a lot more populous and a lot, it's becoming a lot more like Atlanta than mm-hmm. it, than it used, than it, than it was when I moved here about 13 years ago. I feel like we have a little more personality than Atlanta does, though. Yes, I, we I, I, I more agree. Character. I agree. We still have that personality. Atlanta's just way, it's, it's way too spread out and there's not, yeah. I mean, I there's, like there's say, a lot going on there and that yeah. can and, that can and could not be a good thing. I'll make this prediction. There is starting to be a big... This used to be like songwriter town. And you used to be able to come here and write a song, and it was like, yeah. change your life and blah, 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 blah. Whereas right. now it's like, you better write 10 that change your life. So the thing... I, I just read this thing in the paper about how, like, I think it was like 80,000 songwriters have basically moved out of town. There is sort of a shift in... Because people aren't making a lot of money in the music business anymore, like they were, especially not like in the 90s. It's become inundated. Yes. 
And it oh. is, and the, people don't think about how many bad songwriters there are. And so they're sort of getting kind of pushed out. And then comedians are coming here. They've got places to go. I mean, open mic, like you said, every mm-hmm. night almost. So it is shifting. And I think it's sort of like we're sort of chewing off the fat in a way. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think a lot of it might have to do with, um, seems like about five or six years ago, You'd go to a venue that had live music, and there'd be like two people there. It was so hard to get anyone to come out to see live music, and it was right like almost not happening. So I think a lot of venues started looking for alternatives. Mm-hmm. I think that probably has a, a that, and it's overdone. I mean, like my Facebook page is like uh, invite, invite, invite. Come see my band. Come see my band. Come see my band. And it's like I can't even keep it all straight. It's like it's constant. Yeah. And so I think it is, I think people are starting to kind of be like, okay, this is a refreshing change from, and besides that, comedy is like huge all around now because Netflix mm-hmm. is nothing but comedy specials. So, well, not, I mean, there's more <laughs> stuff on Netflix. <laughs> you know, on my Netflix, I just watch comedy specials, but uh, you can watch whatever you want, I guess. Um, right, but, I yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. There. Yeah, there's yeah. just tons of them, and there's more freedom with Netflix, I hear. And so yeah. I'm not a comedian mm-hmm. at all, as you can tell. And so, but I'm, you know, that is a big thing now. It's starting to kind of, there's a comedy fire happening. Mm-hmm. And I love it around town. It's not, it's not just stand up that's happening around town, too. There's a lot of, uh, like, there's sketch shows around town. There's yeah. video showcases where people shoot funny shorts and, and they've got a place to showcase it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few improv groups around town. And so there's, there's a lot of different things that are happening. Uh, we, we tend to have more stand up comedians on, but, um, I mean, it's, we, also have actors on and people that do improv and people that are writers and and so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we had some bounty hunters on <laughs> that was cool yeah anyone that's interesting and we did have uh we had my friend rob on whom is like one of the session guitar players in town bob seeger's guy yeah, and he's in Bob Seger's band and all that. He was in the Silver Bullet band, I should say. <laughs> but um, but and he's an interesting guy. But I, I really, it is anyone that's interesting, and I just like to hear stories about what they go through, and you know, just about their personality, really. Mm-hmm. And but comedians usually are more open to come in and be self-deprecating and talk about themselves. And yeah, so, hang out in your basement. About the music thing here, it's, it, it seems to me like what, what we said before, like it, it is very, very inundated. And, and oh. Luke and I have talked about this before that we have a lot of these kids that I've known over the years that have gone to these college, like the Art Institute, for instance. That's the main one. And they all go for audio engineering. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. of them probably like, 80% of them go for audio engineering. Right. And most of those kids are not going to find a job in Nashville because that's what everybody no. wants to do. But I will say I, I moved to Nashville to go to one of those schools. I went to SAE. And it's really easy to separate yourself from the herd at the same I mean, with, yeah. you know, sure, you've got thousands of people coming here every year trying to do that. But if you're willing to really, like, buckle down and get good at it, you're going to be in the top. Yeah, there's there's yeah. work, I mean, but 
The thing, to your point, yes and, a lot of the guys that come into the shop that just got out of that SAE and all that kind of stuff, they went there to learn how to do their music. They are not to... Yeah. Most of them don't want to go and be engineers and stuff like that. They're totally in it for themselves. And uh, you can always tell, too, the awesome hair and tattoos and all that stuff. I've had so many people like, yeah, I'm going to make sweet beats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Going to school for that? How much much money did you spend to go to school for nine months to make sweet beats? And and see, the difference between those people and somebody like you, Rob, is that you're willing to get in there and, you know, pack up equipment and haul stuff on the trucks and go to music festivals and do all these things and work work (laughs) your butt off. Come to my basement. (laughs) You you know. And it, and then there's a lot of those kids, like you said, that just want to make sweet beats that right. are just gonna yeah. are setting themselves up so, for failure. Essentially, some, some people I've talked to before in the past too that were graduates don't know the simplest little procedures like on, on a DAW. You know, they don't like, care. Right? They don't care at all. They're just there to make their music. Yeah. That's well, the deal. You know as much as I learned in college, literally. I mostly I made connections there. I didn't learn a whole lot. Like not. I mean, you know, not beyond anything you would know how to do. Uh, I've got to, I can give you another example. A lot, these kids today, um, <laughs> they, doggone it. They're, uh, a lot of them don't, I listen to a friend of mine's band and he's like, you know, early twenties, just got out of school like that. And the song sound ju- sounded just like an 80s song. And I was like, you know that that sounds like they have no concept of like history at all. They don't care. They only care about their stuff. Yeah, that's why they're yeah. going, and they're just trying to get free studio time for themselves. At the same time, though, like as you've got the new generation coming in, like none of them know like the original song that it sounds like anyway. Right. So, yeah, he had no idea, no clue, and didn't really care. He kind of gave me that look, like. Whatever you're. What stupid. song? What, what song was it that you that you it thought sounded, it sounded like? It's it had the same melody as like a Blondie song. Okay, that's what it sounded mm-hmm. like, and it was it was kind of like people are kind of out of guitars and rock music now. It seems. Yeah. Um, they're into more experimental stuff, which is cool. That's great. Um, but man, it's not like when I was a kid, you had to like you had to pay some like loser songwriter at a music store 25 bucks for a half hour lesson now you can go on youtube and learn the solo from like rush's 2012 <laughs> like the whole thing there's a guy there okay first fret do yeah, this right. like that's you can do all of that now so teach the, you how to play lightning fast yeah <laughs> I mean, give you the keys to the limit <laughs> yes yeah, back in those days, I mean, it was like you had to buy the tapes and you had to pay some some loser to like show you how to play. But now you've got YouTube, you've got all this. St- there are little amps that you can buy that are under $100 that have all these effects on it. And if I was a little kid and I saw that, I would have killed somebody for that. I mean, they just don't know what they got, those kids. <laughs> but, These kids today! Yeah, and so I think with all of this saturation of all this stuff, it's just like they're not catching on to any of it, and they're just like, eh, I don't really need to work for, you know, my chops. So, and that's okay. That's fine. I mean, you know, pretty soon I'll be fixing toasters <laughs> in my basement. Hey, everybody needs their toast and their strudel. Okay. Den of sin Dude, toaster mm-hmm. repair. Strudel's rule. I agree. I'm all about that frosting packet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another thing that uh, That that I find interesting about you guys' show is that uh, 
just about every show is it's kind of like the opposite of ours where <laughs> you guys have a guest inside the studio all the time which is cool mm-hmm. because you guys are talking to people that are in local areas whereas we're most of the time we're on skype this is one of the few instances we've actually had guests in the studio there have been so, a couple of times that I wish they were on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> so, Just yeah. a few. So, that's the so what has that been like for you guys? Like the interaction with the guests while, you know, actually become, in the studio and they're willing to come to the I, house. I, I think it. it adds to it. It's, a, it's a cool energy. And you I, that's get, what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry to cut you off. Because <laughs> well, it's always like, it all goes through the same process. It's like, we meet these people like five minutes before we start rolling tape. So it's like... Mm-hmm. You get to see us work our way through the awkward getting to know a person phase every week. Yes. Which is kind of cool. Because then, like, by the end, we're all just, like, having a blast and shooting the shit. And And going to Applebee's. That's, yeah. Is that the thing, Applebee's? Oh, we love our Applebee's. That's the the hang afterwards. It sounds sounds cheesy, but we we really become tight friends with them after a show. It's like... Like we, I'll see uh, like Brad Sativa, for example, whom we forgot to meet. He's so nice. He's great too. He's awesome. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't get to see his comedy before he came on. He shows up and <laughs> he was a dynamo, and um, and I mean that in a great way. But I see him later on, and it was just like, hey man. I mean, like he became like he was like a really close friend of mine all of a sudden, and um, he comes from completely opposite backgrounds of me. But he's such a great guy, and you know, we just sort of, sort of like we fast forward the friendship with them yeah. or something. And like, and we mentioned Josh and Akalia earlier. We love that guy. We wrote a song about him. Yeah, that's the Canadian song. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he's he's a, he's a good guy. He's an interesting dude, and and has an interesting family as well. Mm-hmm. So his dad's a badass. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> and I know from listening to every episode of the Leisure Hour that Renee is a huge Degrassi. Oh, yeah. I, I love Degrassi. I just watched uh, Degrassi Next Class on on Netflix. What is the okay? So, what is the appeal of that show? Because I think that that's something that that came. Like Jeff and I are the same age. Yeah, we're old mm-hmm. men, almost forty. Yeah. Uh, so, what hill. is the appeal of that show? Because I think that came out after my my time period. I mean, well, the original was uh, in the 80s. Okay. Uh, and of course, th- it wasn't broad. I don't think it was a broadcast in it the was United on, States. Yeah, it was, it was on PBS, I think. Okay. Uh, I, when I was in junior high, they used to wheel <laughs> in a, te- a TV, get some of the classes together, and we would watch it. And that was how they broached the subject of... Um, really? Or breached the subject, Bre- I should say. Bre- <laughs> I wore a brooch no. <laughs> that said Degrassi on it. No. That's how they breached the subject of like drugs and lying to your parents, which will kill them. That we yeah, from. they will die in a fiery car crash if yeah, you lie to your parents. <laughs> you lie to them. I learned that from Degrassi. And uh, never ever get into a creepy actor's Camaro. Yeah. I still have uh, held true to that. Never drop acid at a show. You will jump off a bridge and, <laughs> and paralyze yourself. Have not held true to that. <laughs> I, I, I think for some reason I was just not I was just not exposed to Degrassi. I, I Well, I'd never heard of it until I heard like Renee start talking about it on the show and then it's like 
We used to have oh, Degrassi night. We did. We did. We'd, we'd watch like four episodes in the Not row. Me and Jeff back in the day when we when our friendship was blooming. <laughs> they, well, she she dated one of my good friends, and uh, we they would just have a bunch of people over, and we'd have Degrassi night. And we would watch it, and it, it got weird. Yeah. But yeah, so they made us watch it in school. So that's mm-hmm. how I knew about it. It's every episode is like a, an over the top after school special. And so I, th- I think that's why I like it so much. Cause I'm like, Ooh, what lesson are we going to learn today? And I mean, it's, it's, I still watch it now too. I, I mean, I like love every season of it. Um, so I've been watching it for a long time and, uh, it's fun seeing what they're coming up with these days. Like, Ooh, what are the kids doing wrong these days? We got a cyber bullying episode. We, yeah. There's, yeah, there's like a, Trans what are some of the themes student. there too? And uh, also, Jeff, when they, when they when they made you watch it, did they hold your eyeballs open like Malcolm McDowell and Clockwork Orange? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uncomfortable. I still remember Mr. Franklin. I still remember Mr. Franklin going, and I don't even know if I should say this, but anyway, I still remember Mr. Franklin, who was the uh, biology teacher, who was yeah. like, "All right." And this was after the the first time, the first time that they had sexual congress yeah. on the yeah. show. Um, he said to all the kids, um, or asked, you know, the big questions, like, so what were they doing? <laughs> and somebody holds up his hand. I think his name was Sean. Yes. Oh, that was his name, Sean. I can't remember anything, but like weird. Is this thing. Next Generation, Degrassi? No, no, no. This is when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> okay, okay. I remember it like it was yesterday. We're watching this Degrassi. This would be like 1989. Okay. Yeah. Like this, is, <laughs> this was about the, the first was time. Was this and, Joey uh, Jeremiah? <laughs> this was probably 91-ish. Okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're watching the episode and it was about like, I, I, they were, they were trying to have sex for the first time or whatever. And then somebody did or, uh, anyway, so, uh, the Dr. Mr. Franklin was like, so what did they go in there and do? Does anyone know? And, uh, Sean, <laughs> this guy <laughs> holds up his hands. They went poking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's one way to put it. <laughs> that was, so that was the the only uh, sex talk I ever had. Oh, that's I, I so love, sweet. I love this image because I remember in elementary school every now and then they would wheel the TV card in with the VCR and everything, and they show us some instructional video. But I just like I get this like image of your school where they're all in the office and they're like, all right, the kids need to learn about not stealing each other's lunch. We're all super depressed. Which Degrassi episode dealt with that? (laughs) Oh, we went through, we went through all of them. With a lot of teenage pathos in it. (laughs) The old one is my favorite because they all have terrible acne and they look awful and it's out of, it's like totally out of focus (laughs) and there's no lighting. It's, it, up in Canada, it, it's it looks like the dreariest place on the planet. Mm-hmm. It looks like worse than like England, in, <laughs> you know, like a London fog. It, yeah, it's it, there's no sunshine on in any of them, no. and it's just grainy old video, like bad acting. I mean, it it takes me back. It's there's such an innocence to it at times too. Like That's true. one one of the scenes, one of the younger kids, uh, he stole a porno from his parents or his like <laughs> brother or something, and they died. And it's called uh, it's called <laughs> sweat.
swamp or sex uh, swamp robots, swamp what? sex robots, and, <laughs> and and so like they got the, they're like man, let's go watch this movie. It's still it for my brother. And then they're walking, and one of them's like, I wonder what sex swamp robots do actually. <laughs> and you're like, I wonder don't, that too. Don't you know? Eh? <laughs> They're calling oh. each other broomheads yeah, and narbos, <laughs> and it's wonder. It's because it's Canadian. Did too. anybody ever use the word hoser? Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> hoser? I can, yeah. Hey, if probably. you let me tell you something. If you want to like, if you want your son to prove that he's a man. Do the Degrassi drinking game where every time they say a boot, he has to take a drink and he will die of alcohol poisoning. And that's a Degrassi episode in itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure alcohol poisoning has been done several times on that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. They definitely. man, like they've they've started uh, tackling. Uh, like there was a, a transgender student on oh, one no. of the seasons, and I swear, like every two seasons, one of them dies. Some some kid dies like every two seasons. Everyone's always getting pregnant, and then like a lot of them have gotten cancer. It's pretty gonorrhea. intense. A lot of gonorrhea. Yeah, ever, one of my favorites was gonorrhea of the mouth episode. Did anybody ever get hit by a train or anything? Or <laughs> any trains in Canada? People have gotten hit by <laughs> got people have gotten hit by a bus. I think. I think someone maybe maybe I made that up though. This is slightly off it. subject, but while we're on the subject, kind of like PSA. Have you guys ever seen a PSA called the Finishing Line? No, no. It's this thing that was made in the 1970s. Apparently, kids playing on train tracks and getting killed was a huge epidemic in mm-hmm. England mm. in the 1960s and 70s. So much so that they had to make a PSA to show why kids should not play on the train tracks. Wow. And I mean, it's it's kind of like the precursor to like Pink Floyd's The Wall. I mean, this thing is Whoa. just uh, it, it's incredibly it's it's horrifying. Mm. It's something, it's <laughs> something you guys need to watch sometime called the Finishing Line. But anyway, that's just Saving a digression. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly depressing. It's like the kids are getting ready for a race, and the race always has to do so something with the with the train, and like the teachers are out there blowing the whistles and stuff, and they're racing on the train tracks, and the train comes around and just smashes into them and like the last scene it's they're like they're like right? they're like in the tunnel they're in the tunnel and like you just hear the train sounds and like screaming and then like the it comes out with like the the orderlies carrying dead kids out of the out of the tunnel and laying them on the train tracks and they're all bloodied and like mangled oh you get me okay because if you and i were at the same time period we went to grade school and that was the thing. In the 80s, it was like, if you want to teach a kid something, you need yeah. to traumatize him. Oh, yeah. And so we would... Absolutely. <laughs> we would... All of these like weird, almost artistic films would be trauma like that. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to teach us... You know, fear was the best motivator. There's actually a whole website that's kind of devoted to that called uh, Kinder Trauma. Yeah. They talk about. They talk a lot about. Uh, saving that. They talk a lot about horror movies, but some of the stuff in it is about PSAs. I remember stuff of just like, you know, families getting their houses burned down, yes. and just like this, it's just this horrible, horrible stuff that they would put on HBO and and put on, uh, and they would show you in school. You know, Re- remember that uh, video I was telling you about that Hallmark video that me and my brother like got baked for, and and, and it, it was like. It, it was like Brian's life with and without Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, you should say, you talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, there's there's not really a lot to it. It's pretty pretty straightforward. But the, the uh, announcer narrator is like, uh, he's like, this is Brian's life without Jesus, and he's like wearing a black leather jacket and smoking cigarettes and stuff, and his ha- his house is a mess, and his mom's like not there for him, and she left a note on the kitchen table like, sorry, I don't have your lunch money today, sweetie. Here's, here's, some, here's some crack though. We'll talk right, you over yeah. with some crack. The house is a mess. He goes to school and he's like a typical bully and everything, but like. The acting was was just like so bad that me and, and my me and my brother were high too, you know. So like we're, we're dying laughing through the whole thing, and it, it gets even funnier when they show like the the good Brian, you know, that that does accept Jesus, you know. His house is all clean, and his shirt's tucked into his pleated khakis and everything, and his hair is like real Swifty, Tom Swifty looking like over to the side. Uh, if you Tom love Swifty that, looking. you should look up. I believe it was Val Kilmer. It's the first thing he ever did, and it was basically an after-school thing, but it was about drinking. And uh, he loved to drink, and clearly from his acting, he had never had a drop of alcohol. (laughs) But it was the most ridiculous, overacted, like, you know, he's drinking and driving, and, you know, it's all this stuff, and he's out of control, and he acts crazy, and all this kind of stuff. Look up Val Kemmer's, I think it's his, the first thing he ever did, and it's totally a trauma film about drinking. Was it like one of those Monday night movie specials? I think it was an after school. Oh, okay. School. Yeah. But actually my favorite title for an after school special was my dad lives in a downtown hotel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is I haven't seen that one. That's, that's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what was that one about? <laughs> well, I don't know because it was only on like, like this, like the top five ridiculous uh, after school specials on video on YouTube. Yeah. There's probably only like that only one section of it still actually exists so he lives at the stadium in there is the one that's called the day my kid went punk rock from like 1987 oh that's great apparently apparently punk was like a huge problem and it's been it's been been retrieved online he must be listening to that punk again (laughs) (laughs) what is up with this punk rock music they uh uh bill haley and the comets you remember the song rock around the clock yeah okay well when that song first came out kids would arrive and there's old footage on youtube of them playing over in germany and they play rock around the clock and the kids go nuts <laughs> so my like dream is to find a 45 of bill haley in the comets uh rock around the because that's like the birth of rock and roll right there it really yeah, it really is so yeah so if any of you out there have that let me know i'd like to purchase it from you anyway um Okay, uh, changing subject just a little bit, but I also want to get on the uh, on controversial, conspiranormal things. Sure. Uh, you remember the movie The Day After, right? Yes. Okay. Did you you remember watching Weird, that? I was about to. Well, okay. I'll put it this way: I don't remember actually seeing it at the time. I don't think I ever actually saw it. I don't think I did until nineteen ninety, maybe. Oh, okay. By which time it would have been pretty. The point was pretty moot, but mm. I do re- I do remember all those movies uh, coming out. And I remember the, those things scaring the hell out of me. Oh yeah, it was terrifying. I was so aware of what was going on when I was like seven, eight years old. With like, because that I mean, nineteen eighty three, 
I mean, we really almost did. It almost really did happen. People don't realize how close we were yeah, to nuclear yeah. war in 1983. Not as close as the Cuban Missile Crisis, but pretty close in that year. And there was a several. There was another movie uh, called Threads that came out. I think the next year, which was a British movie, mm-hmm. and that that finishing line that I told you about kind of like seems like a almost like a precursor to that in the way that it's made. And that thing is more is like. Um, the day after on steroids. I mean, it's it's incredibly depressing. And then there's another movie from like called Testament that came out, which was where there's a nuclear war and like, but there's no damage in the town, but the radiation starts killing everybody. Right, right, right. But yeah, so yeah, I remember <laughs> all that stuff, all, all those nuclear war movies from the 80s. Why were we doing that to ourselves? Why, why do you think we did that? As far as to, as, as like, why was it there to... Well, no, I mean, were were they trying to scare people? I, I think it was. I think it was more of a of a means as a, as far as like adults were concerned, for it to be for people to be aware of what the effects would be. I see, and to be aware that like if we cross that line, mm-hmm. then this is what's going to happen. It's not going to be like World War II, where okay, it's terrible, but we can recover. And the United States is untouched by war. Everybody will be affected. Do and you plus think they were the sort of ecological. I, I don't think there was anything because I, I think with the day after specifically, uh, there was a lot of concern in the government about that movie because Nicholas Meyer, the guy who directed that, who also did Wrath of Khan, uh-huh, uh-huh. he um, he had gone and talked to a lot of people in FEMA at the time, and he found out that there was really no plans. For what would happen after a major nuclear strike, like what oh. he depicted in that movie, and he, I think he had there. It was that movie was very controversial, and now you watch it, and it it kind of is more like a basic disaster movie. I mean, it has Steve Gutenberg in it for God's sakes, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a beloved by a young Jeff from the Police Academy movies. That's how I learned about comedy. Anyway, go ahead, <laughs> but. But yeah, you get my point though. It's like it's yeah, it's it's, it's, it's kind of like it, it's dated. It's very dated yes, now. Yes. And but at the time, I mean, it was uh, it was serious because people were like, you know, don't let your kids watch it. I can remember I can remember my dad watching. It. I can remember it being on in the other room because they left the door open, and whatever I was hearing was just horrifying. You know, but I never actually saw the film till much later on. But. You know, there was there was after there was there were specials after it of like, you know, people were offering counseling for the to see that after people saw that movie. Wow. Uh, I mean, it was some it was serious at, I, at that point. At that I remember point in the time. aftermath, uh, no pun intended, of after the movie aired. But man, that was huge for everybody. I mean, Sting had songs about it. Yeah. It was it was. It was big, and Reagan was affected by it. Uh, he 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 actually he saw the movie, and he oh s- oh yes, he, he said he said, you know, we got to do something about this, right? Because everybody looked at Reagan as being like the warmonger, and the Soviets were concerned about him. They thought he would push the button at any point, but he was really just like kind of just the opposite, where he was concerned about nuclear war, and that's why, eventually, when Gorbachev comes around, he he works with him, but. Yeah, he was very concerned. He the, the movie affected him as well. That's For when as we dated started as it is now, them. it actually had it actually did have some kind of impact at the time. Right. 
And we just outspent them. But yeah, most importantly, Sting was affected by it. <laughs> Wrote songs about it. That's why I mentioned it, Nay. Well, you had all kinds of songs. 99 Love Balloons, Red Skies at Night, The Fix. That was in German, so I didn't know what that was about. <laughs> 99 Love like, Why do the Germans love uh, balloons so much? That's weird. I wasn't a bright any, kid. Any, anything from like the early to mid 80s is usually about nuclear war. So Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's true. <laughs> But that that song about Russians loving their children by Sting always pops in my head. So, but well, he's but saving I, the rainforest one tree always, at a time. Always, even so. outside of this conversation, yeah, it's always up there. I just I see a disaster and I just think hmm, quaint. Um, being a child of the eighties. Um, so in either case, um, what about your show, good sir? How did, what got you started in this crazy thing we call <laughs> podcasting? Well, I'll tell you. I was always a big fan of podcasts. I had, um, I'd always liked, you know, Art Bell, yes. Coast to Coast. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan now, but um, considering that he, you know, keeps retiring, coming back and retiring constantly. But I really <laughs> like to listen to that kind of stuff. And... At one point, like around 2004, 2005, I thought, you know, I'd like Coast to Coast, but I'd like to find something else that is free because I don't want to pay for the Coast to Coast membership. But I found a show that they actually interviewed these two guys on uh, called Ghostly Talk. And they talked about, I mean, talked about paranormal stuff, but not just ghosts. I mean, they would talk about ancient civilizations. They would talk about um, conspiracy theory, all this kind of stuff. In fact, the first time that I'd heard of some of the 9-11 conspiracies was from that show, which was uh, the guy who did um, Loose Change 9-11. Mm-hmm. So that this was around 2006 or so, or so. And there was another show that I started listening to that I found out through them called World of the Unexplained. You know, shout out to my boy, Jay Scott. He was a, those guys are North from North Carolina. They, they were a huge, they were even bigger influence on me because they were, you know, I could relate to them because they were from the South and they just liked to BS all the time on the show. And I loved the format that they had, uh, where you, you know, talk about the, the, the same kind of thing. So from listening to that, I always wanted to do a, do my own podcast, but I hadn't really, um, I didn't really know how to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met a f- met my friend Mike Bennett, Doctor Future, at 2010 at a conference here in Nashville, and started listening to his show Future Quake, which was also another big. There's a lot of stuff in Paranormal's DNA. There's Future Quake, there's Ghostly Talk, there's World of the Unexplained. There's all these different people that I had heard of from listening to these shows. And he became a big encouragement to me to try to get something going. And in 2012, he hung it up with Future Quake because now he's writing and finishing up a book series on the kind of a a Christian viewpoint on the war of ter- war on terror. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I decided at that point, I said, "Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do it because Future Quake is leaving and be kind of like you know." take up the mantle, so to speak. And there was a couple of other shows that were doing the same thing at the time. And I decided to go ahead and, and do it. And I knew this guy right, right next to me, Mr. Luke. The Lukester. Worked with him at the 
For first at Pizza Hut and then at uh, Biggie Frame. Yep. Our old uh, digital frame shop. Fun and times. Joe asked him if he wanted to do it. And he said, he said, he's like, God, dude, nah, man, so whatever, man. as long as you give me a six pack every <laughs> time. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I had to bribe him with beer to come over. <laughs> and food. Yeah, beer and food. That's what we do. Cat food, mm-hmm. cat food spaghetti, yeah, right? Lil- Lillian's famous cat food spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> She'd kill me. <laughs> it, it's delicious. It just smells like cat food when it's warmed up. I, I don't know why. That does not sound good. That so, doesn't sound like a. <laughs> so he would come in there and uh, there's a uh, come in there and and, and, uh, and pass out from the cat food spaghetti and the beer. Well. It's Brazilians commit carbicide every time they eat a meal. Like they, they'll have spaghetti, potatoes, like what else? It yeah. Beans. You don't have a. There's no meat. You don't uh, have a oh, meat? there's meat. They Brazilians meat very too, much love their okay. meat. They, yeah, they love the carbs, steak though. and Do all kinds of stuff. Do you eat it off stuff. a sword? <laughs> no, no, she doesn't bring it to me on a sword. Okay. Well, well, not like the Brazilian steakhouse. I don't steakhouse. think you're getting the real. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't authentic. Adam. Are you sure you're Brazilian? <laughs> I'm not coming over anymore. <laughs> I need it on a sword. That's why I married you. <laughs> so we started, uh, what was it, March of 2012 was the first show that we did. I think we put it out in April. And so it's been, we had uh, our old producer, Mr. Chris, who is not around Ran anymore. Ran into some circumstantial provisions. Yeah, so we won't even talk about that. But we ran out of food, <laughs> so we started. Uh, so we started then, and it was around episode sixty that I started getting kind of frustrated because the way I'd done it was I had this little omnidirectional mic because I didn't really have the resources to go out and buy a whole bunch of stuff, and I had I eventually had gotten a little a better board for it, but there's a lot of like anybody listens to those earlier shows. And so, and a matter of fact, somebody left us a, a review on iTunes recently said, listen to the show. The, the, the sound sounds terrible. Well, I don't think they've worked their way up to past episode 60. So around episode <laughs> 60, I was just kind of getting, I was getting kind of frustrated with the way the show was sounding. I wanted it to be better or I was just going to hang it up. And Alyssa, who I worked with at the time, said, well, you know, my boyfriend is a audio engineer. He does. That's what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. And she didn't phrase like that, did she? She said super nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know her. <laughs> well, she did say audio engineer. She was like, he's a super nerd. <laughs> and here we are now. We're all filthy rich. Like Rob's, yeah, yeah, right, Rob's right. got a Ferrari. <laughs> And you got that Maserati in the backyard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that my spine is crooked now from sitting on the wads of cash. (laughs) That is just just pouring in left and right. Not to mention all the hookers and blow, right? On a serious note, what I can't get over about you is you read the books every week. Yeah. Which is like, that's insanity to me. Because well, okay, you get through all of that in a week? uh, Well... It's not necessarily it's not necessarily always a week. There there are some guests that I will if I know where they're coming from or if they don't have a book, I might have them on and then the guests with a book. So I kind of space things out a little bit. It, oh, or sometimes we'll do there will be two weeks between shows mm-hmm. so that it so that I can get the book read. Uh the one we just put out with Randall Carlson, um actually on that one I watched the DVD and from actually talking to him because i don't think he actually has a book out but he's got 
he's got all kinds of resources online. Yeah. 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 He's, he's something else. He's got all kinds of resources online. And then he's at the DVD that he gave me when I saw him down there in Atlanta. Uh, so in that case, I was able to just watch a DVD. But yeah, there are. I mean, I will sit down and read the book. But it doesn't matter if he does or not, because then the guest will come on and go off on a tangent. And Adam will just be like, "Oh yeah, that was George Johnson in 1629, <laughs> <laughs> some that's... small province of France." <laughs> that's when I listen to the show. I notice he has all of these like references, yeah. and it's like, uh, okay, you could make up stuff, and I'd be like. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of hosts that I've that I have noticed that don't read the books. They don't they don't or they don't take the time. Now, you know, if you're George Nori on Coast to Coast, you don't have the time to read the books because you're doing a show every single night. Right. And then you also have your assistants that help you do that kind of stuff. Uh sometimes with guests I will get um press releases. Stuff that's like a blurb that says, you know, here's the talking points we can talk about. But most of these guest books, I mean, they're not they're not incredible tomes. I mean, there was one that I I could not get through because it was 800 pages. I mean, it was wow. 800 pages on Freemasonic uh, ritual. I was going to say, let just, me guess. It was that dude talking about like all the uh, the whole history of the Catholic no, no, that wasn't, it wasn't that, it wasn't that. <laughs> the, the Catholic popes and cardinals. Which, by the way, he's coming back on next week. Oh, so. oh great. Uh, and he read all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Luke's talking trash. That, was the one, that actually was, I think, the one that Luke brings up the most because, because I think Luke was just bored to tears by that. Like, you're like, when people start talking about history, you're just like, it's just, it's just uh, facts over and over again. I'm not trying to diss him in any way. Like, everyone's into their own thing sure but sure. but but this this dude's like but i know, think your thing is stupid <laughs> no, this this dude's talking in just one tone and the whole episode is just like and then then we have francis regalia from uh, 1716 who took the position and i'm just like oh no <laughs> so he basically talked through his whole book yeah right okay. or at least a large yeah, see, chunk of I it well like, I mean, you, you got you got guys that are out there that in this particular guy i mean he's um i believe he's a phd i think he has some kind of theology degree and so you got guys that just have all this stuff that they have written about and just retain all this knowledge and all these facts so yeah they're gonna they're gonna go into great detail on on some things well yeah now who's the like freakiest guest you ever had on <laughs> Like who's that's, the guy that's that, easy. like weirded you out? Like okay, uh, uh it's a toss up for me. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, a toss wow. up for me <laughs> because we did have this guy on very early on in the uh, episode twenty something named Divine Devon, and how would you describe him, Luke? He he was um. He, he wasn't exactly yeah he was divine he he wasn't exactly mental but i would say he's pretty far out in the new age far out kind of category yeah talking about you know v- very do, do psychedelics very introverted circles. and expressive yeah that makes sense and in in a lot of uh, a, a lot of interesting mystical experiences but we start off the interview he starts off like, you know, of course, my one of my basic questions is, well, how did you get into this? You know, how does somebody like yourself, just like what you asked me, you know, how does somebody like yourself get into these kind of ideas? 
and he starts he begin he starts to talk about well it all started when I started to masturbate at age thirteen when I lived in a Mormon family. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, right down I his know name. where I know where this is going. He's dead serious too. Like, wow, no, I mean, just absolutely dead serious. And and so yeah, he was one of the ones who just like if you want to say, uh, I, I don't want to you know denigrate the guy. So, but he was. He was interesting to say the least. Um, Sounds like a weird, yeah. uh, like Rasputin type. Yeah, I'm very, very, very hippie-ish in a way. You know, yeah. uh, there was also Captain K. Uh, yeah, these guys can tell y'all. I mean, they can tell y'all about Captain K. That was something else. That was awesome. And, and I knew it was going to be. Weird. Oh, I know. I, well, I was really bummed when he had to postpone and reschedule because, yeah. like, he was redeployed to mars or whatever yeah he disappeared and i thought that he, <laughs> what he, okay his claim like he actually his claim to mars is or? his claim is is that he went that he was a he was a marine on the planet mars protecting the human colonies that There's were that are on mars that are biting for the planet mars and we're just one of them yes protecting them Our from the aliens best, though, obviously since we're close to it and this is all part of the secret space program. But not only the not only that, there's also time travel and age regression involved. Yeah, we did the math and the guy's like 100 and something years old at this point. <laughs> yeah, to where they essentially put him into some kind of they 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 hypersleep. Yeah, some kind of sleep or the, and then they genetically engineered him. Uh, there were all, all these kind of elements. Like, you know, he, he saw Don Rumsfeld speaking to Martian command, but like, but like, you know, he was there until maybe the mid two thousands or something. And then they sent him back in time. Now you Skype this fellow in. Yes. Okay. And erased his memory. And he was, then he was a child in the 1970s, which is actually very similar to Al Belix claims. Which was from the Montauk and the Philadelphia experiment stuff. <laughs> Kick that, knowledge, brother. That, that he, You're lying. That he <laughs> that, that he actually that he actually said that he was also that he have, was also put into another body and age regressed to a baby, and it was the same kind of thing. <laughs> Where did he Skype from? <laughs> he was actually at a conference at the time. He was at the E SETI Ranch, which is this huge. Ranch, I believe it's in Washington State, and all these UFO people get together, and they look for UFOs and do you ever go? Aliens. Come on, man, are you kind of? I mean, do you inside? Just, I do. Yes. Okay, but when they come on the show, you take them very seriously, yes, and I let them tell their story. <laughs> okay, if he thought that you're, uh, if he thought that you were trying to crack jokes or. Make make uh, fun out of anything he said. He'd get pissed. You mean I, Captain K? Yeah, I could hear it. It is like because <laughs> yeah. there was a couple times because you don't know to, because you well, don't know what you're dealing with. There was, yeah, there was the one point where he, Luke was like, "Man, this would make a great science fiction story." And like, I thought that, that we were going to lose him at that point, but he was just yeah. kind of like, "Yeah, I've tried to sell the rights to the story." I was like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy with Captain Crunch, there, man. Um, man, so, I hope these people don't. I listen think with stuff. most people, and one of the things that I do, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I will hear. Some of these guests that go on to other shows, more <laughs> nationally known shows that you'll fail miserably are like are just so weird. I'm just like, no, I don't want to have that person on. 
you know, but we but we, we don't go too much for like the really weird stuff. We try to kind of stay in a nice little in between medium. I see. And of course, there's not going to always be th- stuff that I agree, that agree with necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, right. Well, it's, essentially, it's a quest for truth. So I mean, if there's right. something that we can write off firsthand, it's like there's not much point to it. But if somebody has some kind of new valid insight on anything, like it's worth a listen. It's worth exposing people to. It's worth letting people kind of formulate their own opinions too so yes well they like with like with instance with uh with peter robbins i mean he's one of my favorite guests i, I love yeah, the guy. Great guy i mean but you know like the the and i really wanted to get his thoughts on wilhelm reich and what because he has experience with those papers and looking at his technology and uh has experiences with the technology that he swears by but in my mind, I'm still skeptical. I'm still just like I don't, I don't buy it. And Luke is very skeptical of that stuff. The Wilhelm Reich was a, um, he was a scientist that was actually uh, an associate of Sigmund Freud, and he came up with this whole weird idea of orgone energy and how it could it had something to do with sex and how it could affect you and affect your mood and affect your life. <laughs> And he build these things. He would build these things called the cloud busters, which use orgone energy to bust cl- up clouds. Okay, mm. and it's it's very kind of pseudosciency. It's not very well accepted. After what Randall said on on the last interview with him, though, he really kind of oh yeah, he kind of changed my Are you getting perspective. more convinced on it. Yeah, because he he put things together for me. He he kind of cross referenced uh, you know actual electricity with the makeup um uh geographically so he kind of put those two things together for me to yeah. explain the orgone energy and i was like wow i makes should a lot come of over to the uh, shop sometime and you want to build should, one yeah, yeah build we one. can build one there you go so i'm you being dead serious about yeah, this I, I mean give him my number he can come right on over so it's so it's stuff that you know it's stuff like that where uh-huh. you get someone that you really do, you really do expect respect, and you respect their opinion, but you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily agree with with what they're saying. You may be skeptical about it, but I, I've I've heard a lot of uh, hosts that are, you know, maybe I'm not as challenging as I probably should be with some of this stuff. But it's like I really, what I really like about our show is that we let people talk, and we have so many different kinds of ideas on the show. I mean, we've had people that have are kind of on the extreme end of evangelical Christianity, fringe Christianity. And then we've had people that are, you know, like somebody like Scott Walter that believes Jesus was married and his, his tomb is in Jerusalem. I mean, you know, this, this is two separate, hmm. very distinct philosophies here, but bringing those together and letting the kind of the, the audience sort through that and see what they believe and what, what they don't I the see. same as what as what we do every day and you know luke and i you know and, and, and we, we don't agree on all things and yeah, I, you're yeah. a nice guy i can't see you <laughs> going after somebody no, in here no. and like this is total horse pucky I, I've, <laughs> had, I've had certain moments where i really you know, but, but when i ask a question that's kind of challenging i more do it in a way that is nice and say or just to say something like well don't you think or don't you think that this is you know how we should deal with this i mean what do you what do you think is going on here? <clears throat> cough cough holocaust denier 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Actually that was the, that, okay. You, that, thank you. That was one that did kind of try my patience. Um, that was, uh, but you still had the whole episode run and you didn't bring up your opinion right. until later on where you were like, we do not support this. We do not believe this. We do not right. think that this is, How and I did a whole other, I did a whole other show. I did a whole other show to counter it actually. Yeah. With another guest, with another guest. And which is a guy that's an historian, a history teacher. And, Okay, this was Jim Fetzer. Uh, Fetzer is one of the guys that was really big in the 9-11 truth movement in the mid-2000s. He was pretty instrumental on it. Um, And in many ways at that time really helped me to see a lot of different things that a lot of different aspects of that that you know said okay that's that's right but now he's kind of in many ways i think is and i really hate to say it but i think the guy's getting old and i think that he's going off the deep end on a lot of things and he begins talking to us he just kind of goes off on this rant about how he's being called anti-semitic by some zionist and i'll put that in quotations some zionists outlet somewhere or wikipedia was being zionist or something and so he begins to justify that he's not anti-semitic and then ends up in holocaust denial <laughs> see <Okay>. the <laughs> you see kind of the uh that doesn't make much sense there that's quite the swing yeah so so i just kind of I, I i i just was like i gotta let this go because if i don't let it go this is because we were talking about sandy hook in the Boston bombing. That was the topic of the show. And I was like, if I, 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 I'm going to get bogged down on this. If I challenge this at this point, I, he, you know, Luke was there. He, he was with me when it happened. And yeah. so I just went on and, but then a lot, but a lot of the other parts of the interview, because he doesn't believe that Sandy hook actually happened. He believes it was all a, a drill. That was a, a dramatization basically, which is what I don't believe about Sandy hook. Another thing in that interview, I remember him talking about uh, how Steven Spielberg was at the Boston bombing site and he was coordinating everything that was going on, directing it as if it was a movie. And like Luke looks up the picture that Fetzer says is there. And it's it's just this obviously photoshopped somebody's body with Steven Spielberg's head photoshopped to him. And so it was to me, it, it was quite discouraging to see kind of like how this guy that I really did respect, really did respect, had just kind of lost it, basically. Yeah, he way lost it because there's I I like love World War Two history and any chance I get that I can bring it up and uh, show off that I know one thing about it. I will, um, but uh, I'm not. I'm certainly not a historian or anything like that. But all of the footage, all of the army footage, is on YouTube. You can watch every single bit of it. And yeah. my grandfather still has all of his old photos from when he went into these concentration camps. Yeah. But this guy is like, no, that never happened. Right. Well, okay. Well, one of the one of the I'll tell you where they're coming from. Now, what you see in those movies, and one of them was a very famous one that Hitchcock actually did, that I think was Buchenwald. What you see in those camps like Buchenwald, Dachau, most of those camps were all in Germany. Those were not actually the death camps. Those were concentration, Mm -hmm. 
strictly concentration camps. Dachau had been a concentration camp since 1933 when the Nazis took power. Uh, They so what had happened was they had closed down the death camps in like late 1944 and they demolished most of them, except for Auschwitz, which was just too damn big to be demolished. Hmm. It wasn't just a death camp. It was an industrial center, basically. So they moved a lot of those people, a lot of the people that weren't killed, Anne Frank was one of them, they moved them into Western Germany. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see in those pictures, the bodies stacked up, the emaciated bodies. Uh, that's what was liberated. And the Holocaust deniers will say, and they are right about this, in the fact that those were not the death camps. But they will then say that there were no death camps, that they didn't exist, and if they did exist, there was no use of Cyclone B because they'll come up with some kind of weird scientific. Um, they'll come up with some kind of weird scientific reason to say why Cyclone B was not used in the gas chamber. Something about the, turning the walls blue or something like that. You know, it, it's it's even though the fact that we have tons of witnesses, we have witnesses from the the the, the SS side that this happened. We have the Vonsay Conference, which was the minutes of the plan of how to get rid of all the Jews. That right. was in 1942. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Germans, as the Russians were approaching, uh, the SS demolished the camps and redug up the bodies, moved them somewhere else, or burned them to where there was nothing but ashes left. And so you have all this, but you have, and you have the plans for the gas chambers. You have the plans for the crematoria. You have all this stuff. And one of the things that Fetzer also pointed to, and he's pointed to this in another interview that I heard with him, where the host actually ended up hanging up on him. That was Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio uh, and Tim. Uh, shout out to those guys, too. There's awesome uh, influence on me. But the, so, one of the other things that he said was that they were <clears throat> the Red Cross had come in and, and checked out checked out the the camps and said that there was nothing going on untowards towards the Jews so the Jews were okay. Well, where he's getting that is from Renee. I think you know a lot about this stuff. Was I the, mean, I've heard. Was, some, well, I uh, guess I mainly like what. What would the agenda have been to lie about? Yeah. the Holocaust. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> you, we can get to that. But like, but like, but this, but this, but my head's like exploding over here. <laughs> but my, but my point, but the the point is, is that the Red Cross was yeah, the Red Cross was taken to Theresienstadt. Theresienstadt was basically a Potemkin village. Was it was it was a setup to show that the Jews were okay. And and Luke, I've shown you some of the footage of this. That was actually a film that was made that was supposed to be shown to the Red Cross to say that the Jews were all right. Yeah. And they're all like you know they're look, they're, look they're, they're the playing. Ha- look at the happy Jews. They're playing in the garden. They're they're watching the they're watching the uh, they're watching the. Like the, the symphony yeah. orchestra, they're all in their little barracks and they're all look like they're in like, you know, 1940s America. I mean, it's, it's messed up stuff. And then once the cameras were rolling, they shipped them all to Auschwitz and sent them to the gas chamber. So there that's it. what he's talking about. That's been proven to have been a lie that the Nazis set up. This guy's a total ass clown. This is <laughs> my grandfather has photos. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we could go to West Tennessee and I can show you. <laughs> this is yep. all real, man. Yep. 
Anyway, well, I'll tell you. It's I'll, infuriating. I'll tell you what, tell you <laughs> what I think is behind it, as far as Renee, your question about why, yeah, is because it's all about the state of Israel. You know, I don't agree with a lot of things that Israel has done. I think that you know, in in many ways they've done a lot of bad things themselves, but they do have a right to exist. I feel. And people tried to justify to say that, well, the reason why that Israel happened, and this is true for the most part, was because of the Holocaust, because people felt bad that that had happened. So they, they had that influx of immigration into Palestine, the massive influx of all the refugees coming out of Europe. And two, three years later, the state of Israel comes into existence. Well, a lot of these people that say that they are anti-Zionist will say, well, the reason why that the reason why the Holocaust was concocted, that it why they say that that it was a fake event was because the Jews could justify the creation of the state of Israel. Okay. That's the whole reason. It was all the Zionists mm-hmm. that did it. I know you're I'm you're gonna lose more listeners by saying this, but this reminds me of when people try to tell me that Donald Trump is a good businessman. <laughs> And it's like, could you please pick up a book and just, ugh. Well, the thing is, is that a lot of these people, will, what they will look at history and they will skew it a certain way to where it fits their agenda. Mm-hmm. And, and some of this also, too, and this is one thing that I've noticed as far as, like, you want to talk about conspiracy theories, is that you always have this conspiracy where blank group is behind everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's all the Jews' faults. It's all the Catholics or the Jesuits. The Illuminati. It's the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. That yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. When in reality, the, the what I like is what Alan Moore said, where he said that nobody is in, actually in control. That's the real. That's, that's the the really truth. what's going on. That's yeah. the scary truth. Is no one is actually in control. It's just all these different groups, and that includes that includes the Jesuits, and that includes the Freemasons, and that and includes the, the Knights Templars, the Teletubbies, you know, who who whoever <laughs> else, PB, you know, you know, PBS and Mister Rogers, you know, whoever else is you know involved. Everybody's got their hands in the pie, and everybody's you know trying to <laughs> to exert their control, oh, and that's what's pie? going on. <laughs> My germs. So that's that's one thing that that I've. That since I've studied all this kind of stuff, where it, there's not one big bugaboo that is in control of everything, mm-hmm. it's chaos. Yeah. What? So, who that did he think with. was behind Sandy Hook and the Boston bombing? What was his reasoning for that? Uh, well, this, I mean, okay. Uh, the reason why a lot of people think that Sandy Hook was a fake event was because of gun control. Mm hmm. Of course it was. Okay. How did you not lose your mind? <laughs> yeah, that's well, so infuriating. All right, all you right, do right. have but, so but much because, patience. Because I, I will meet it halfway. As far as okay, the Boston bombing was kind of the same kind of thing, just a false flag event. You guys are familiar with the term false flag, what that means, right? It's, Luke, it's, you better be. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm going to start grilling Luke here. Just see so, just right, say, the, say the term Fal- again. False flag. I no. do not. Right, false us. flag is actually a naval term, which means that you have a ship from one country that raises the flag of another country oh. that, that the country they're fighting is at peace with. 
And then all of a sudden when, you know, let's say it's the French fighting the British and the French put up a Union Jack. Well, when the British ship comes to say, oh, those are our buddies, all of a sudden they'll lower the Union Jack <laughs> and then put the tricolor mm. up real quick. Sneaky. You know, okay. And then they'll start attacking once they're in range and they can mess them up. That's what a false flag is called. So the, that's been pulled into the conspiracy literature as being that the government is committing a certain act and blaming it on whatever group. Right. Most right. of the time now, terrorists. Uh, what they think, what he thinks about Sandy Hook is that it was a contrived event, that it never actually happened, that it was all just a FEMA drill that was allowed to be broadcast. And I don't think that. I think, I think that the kids died there in that school, but I don't think it was Adam Lanza that did it. It was some other group that perpetrated it. You you don't think that uh, the kid that is accused of it, the kid with wh- did he have Asperger's? Asperger's syndrome? Yeah. You don't believe that he actually committed the no, crime? I don't. His dad was a chairman in the GE company too. I don't. I don't. I don't think he had anything to do with it. I think that if 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 at the very least he was, he either did kill his mother, and that body was taken there and dumped there, or he was. Just put it, or he was just part. Of, he may have been associated with these people, mm-hmm. and then killed and dumped there, and said so that that was the guy that did it. What? Uh, what kind of proof is there? Yeah, I was gonna, from. Thank from you, witnesses. <laughs> well, I was just about to ask that. <laughs> you always have these cases where I, we call it the the second guy syndrome, where you will have. Two or th- they will say two or three people are committing an act while it's happening, and then eventually it gets blamed on one person. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy that people saw, this was reported, at Sandy Hook, being escorted by the police into a car with his hands up yelling, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Never hear about it again. <clears throat> uh, there he, is, there he is was he- questioned for three days and then released. And you don't know who he is. And the helicopter, and there was a helicopter footage of two policemen running behind the woods behind the school with their with their guns drawn, going after somebody. Well, supposedly Adam Lanza was inside the school, and that's where he was found dead. Was inside the school. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, I'd see no proof that it was actually him. Now, who it actually was, I don't know. And I don't get hung up on all the gun control thing because a lot of people will say, well, all, you know, if you listen to Alex Jones and others, they will say, well, this is a false flag event. Uh, Charleston was a false flag event. Uh, Sandy Hook was a false flag event. You know, all, all these kind of things that that have happened. And they say that it's all about gun control. It's because Obama wants our guns. I don't necessarily think that that's part of it. I think that there, there's this there is an idea called uh, strategy of tension. And what that is, is more just where people are being kept on their toes constantly in a mm-hmm. constant state of part of the fear propaganda. Yeah. Of, of a constant state of frustration, a constant state of um, what's the word I'm looking for. It, just agitation, constant state of agitation. That's essentially how Hitler came into power yes. was yeah. 
he was staging all these terrorist events. Right. The Reichstag fire has always been to believed to have been a false flag event uh, that he had. They supposedly it was some kind of uh, it was a retarded Dutchman is what they said. That mm. are mentally ill Dutchman that set fire to the set fire yeah, to you the better Reichstag. watch that on our show, my friend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that he set fire to the Reichstag. Mm-hmm. And well, you could Hitler- say some horrible stuff on our show, but uh, don't drop the R bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I've but, had conversations with Jeff about this. But when he, but but but, but when the Reichstag was used as a means for Hitler to take control, to say the communists are coming after us, we need to destroy them. Give me supreme power, and I'll take care of it. That's what that was. Uh, World War Two history. Hitler attacked Poland. The reason they gave was because they said that the Poles attacked a radio station right across the Polish border right. called Gliwitz. Well, it turned out that it, these were, again, mentally handicapped people from, a, from, a, from an asylum that were dressed in Polish uniforms and shot and laid around the radio station. And that was the justification for Hitler to invade Poland. They'd already decided they were going to invade Poland. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, we we can talk about that because it's Hitler. Because we know he was a scumbag. Right. But when it looks like, and I'll emphasize looks like, our own country, or countries we're allied with, have done it, then it becomes this huge sort debate. Sort of taboo. Yeah. Well, but it's important to keep an eye on that kind of thing because that kind of thing has happened. It's been documented. Right. We know it's happened, and it's just important to be on the lookout. And I think another part of it, aside from just the um, gun control, I think is more the militarization of our police force, especially in the Boston bombing case. Right. Because that was where we, t- yes. we declared martial law. We sent everyone out in the streets in riot gear and forced a curfew and locked everybody up and broke all kinds of constitutional stuff, and we applauded our government for it. They had they had Boston on lockdown, man. Yeah, it was on lockdown. What I think happened with Boston bombing, I think, is a slightly different. Um, the FBI has been known, and this is documented. The FBI has been known to set young people up, usually of the Islamic persuasion, give them fake bomb making materials, and then at the last minute they swoop in and they look like the heroes. That has happened. I think that's what happened with the Boston bombing. However, I think the older brother, the older Sarnayev brother, I think wised up to it that he was giving fake materials and he switched it with a real weapon, with a real bomb that he got somehow or he made somehow. And I think what was going to, what was supposed to have happened was they were going to put the dummy bomb in that trash can and it wasn't going to go off and the FBI was going to swoop in in the last minute and say, look, we saved the day. They were going to hit, you know, the terrorists were going to hit the Boston bombing, you know, give us more funding. And but it didn't happen that way. The bomb actually there was an actual bomb and it actually did go off and it actually did kill people. See, and Steven Spielberg to, wasn't there. I want to, like, challenge you on things, but I'm not smart enough to <laughs> <laughs> just go. OK, that's the thing with all, well, one of the things that we've talked about with a lot of these shootings that have gone on is that you don't know. I don't know whether and, and I think Rob and Luke agree with me on this, that we don't know whether or not any of these things that have happened, whether they're real events that are that are perpetrated by a lone assassin, a lone person are. These are there some kind of in 
you know, for lack of a better term, government or intelligence agency involvement in it. We, well, it we don't know anymore. And that's the whole idea behind strategy of tension right. is to keep everybody constantly on their toes. Yeah. We can guess. We can make as many guesses as we want. But uh, beyond that, we don't know. It's not a – but what you're saying is not I at all on the fringe because the – when you mentioned that, the – I thought of um, – uh, out in California, the man and wife team that had all those guns mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Twitter blew up the like three days later, saying there's three witnesses here saying that there was you know two guys that were white guys that did the whole thing and all this kind of stuff. I mean, and you never heard from them again. You know that was that. And the San Bernardino police were San Bernardino. San yes. Bernardino police were looking for a third gunman that night. Mm-hmm. And then you never heard anything about it. I mean, this kind of stuff goes back to uh, Oklahoma City, because you remember. I mean, you're old, and you, I know you remember that. Yeah, it's like you remember. I mean, do, you, you remember? You remember John Doe number two? John Doe yeah. number one looked a whole hell of a lot like Timothy McVeigh, but John Doe number two was either like this Mexican or Arab guy, and that was plastered all over the news. Look out for this guy, and then. Oh, it was just Timothy McVeigh and his yeah. redneck buddy Nichols that pulled this off and with the fertilizer. What's up with that? And there's all kinds of weird connections with uh, Oklahoma has all kinds of weird stuff in it. Interesting. I will say this is like there is in the, in in Italy in the night from the 1950s all the way I think into the 80s there was this uh, this thing called Gladio. It was called Operation Gladio. And Operation Gladio was a – what they were supposed to have been was if the Soviets invaded Western Europe, they would be like the fifth column. In other words, they would make industrial sabotage. They would do these hit-and-run guerrilla tactics against Soviet troops. However, that never happened. And Gladio began to be utilized by somebody – to commit these acts, like I believe one of the things they did was they went into the Rome airport and sh- and shot a bunch of people. And what they would do is that they would they would commit the acts, and then someone in the government would blame them blame that on the communists in Italy, mm-hmm. which was a huge and still is a huge party in in Italy. And so that was the kind of thing that would happen all throughout those decades. Uh, and this is documented stuff. This yeah. isn't fringe conspiracy theory. I mean, there's books that uh, several books that have been written about this. There's, I mean, there's there's paperwork out there on this stuff that this happened. And so you have like this kind of European network of basically false flag terrorists. That's what they do. Is what they go around and do. And they work probably for the highest bidder. And with Oklahoma City, there was this weird connection with these uh white supremacist cults but then there was this german guy that was hanging around there that had all kinds of connections to gladio and just so all this this kind of stuff was happening at this point so there's all these connections to all these all these different things and the wider you go out on this stuff the more complex and perplexing it becomes it's mind-boggling it's too much (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. I, I, I think I think nine eleven. I'm very much like a nine eleven truther kind of guy. I really think that there was something there was something up with that. I mm. I don't know about the. I don't know about the 
bombs in the buildings. I don't know if that actually, if there were actually were bombs in the buildings. I don't think there really has to be for you to look at all the intelligence connections with the terrorists, all the missed, supposedly missed opportunities to catch them doing what they were doing to say at the least that there was, that this event was allowed to happen. Right. If it was just allowed to happen and those planes hit that building and the planes caught were what caused the buildings to fall, I'm perfectly fine with that. However, I'm not convinced that a plane hit the Pentagon. Hmm. It doesn't look, I mean, it does not look like that to me. Yeah, no. Even though Scott Walter, who we had on, was... Yeah, this structural engineer yeah. that went and investigated and said it, it is indicative of... Who's paid of- to say that? <laughs> Jet Thank fuel you, Luke. The, the only thing I want to talk about on that on that nine um, eleven subject is that over the past twenty years, I think the worst thing that's happened to our country is the shift of like checks and balances towards the executive branch. Yeah, and if there's somebody out there that that's like that's their whole thing, that's what they want. Nine eleven couldn't have been a more perfect setup for them, right? Because there were all kinds of things in the Patriot Act. Yo, exactly. That were. Um, that they tried to pass in the night all throughout the 1990s and got voted down repeatedly. Awful stuff. And then all of a sudden it was after nine 11, it was all thrown into the Patriot act and it was passed right away because mm-hmm. who's going to vote against the Patriot act. Right. Yeah. Hmm. There's something else I want to ask you about. Okay. This is way off the subject. All right. Um, well, not really. Okay. After world war two hits, a lot of the Nazi officers okay. seek refuge in Argentina and South America, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Sought refuge you... here. <laughs> Not just well, there. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. that country was like, we will protect you if you come over here. It yeah. is, it's cool. They were like, you know, please come over. Why do you think they did that? Why do you think they were so open to having these... Why do I think Argentina did it? Mm-hmm. I think because Argentina, that area of South America, Argentina, Chile, and the southern Uruguay and the southern half of southern part of Brazil, uh, they have a significant from the 19th century onward. They had a significant amount of German immigrants that came to that part of the world, and they set up these communities. In fact, I know there's places you can go to in Brazil that look in the very Southern part of Brazil that look like you just stepped into Germany. I know those places are there. In fact, what's the the supermodel that dated DiCaprio and she's German descent actually. Okay. Very German. And so that that's, and these are people that, you know, probably speak German just as easily as they speak Spanish or Portuguese. So that was that aspect of it. Uh, there's actually footage of Nazi rallies being held in Argentina in the 1930s. Really? Yeah. So, and what I think was what, what, what happened in the second part of that is, is that I think because of that connection, the Nazis saw in night around 1943 or so, they could see the writing on the wall. They could see that they weren't going to win world war two, certain ones of them. Now, Hitler may have been convinced. He might have been convinced to his last day, if he died then. That, uh, that, Do you think he did? Well, I'll get to that in a second. But he, <laughs> but he, but, but they were, there were certain ones, I believe, like Bormann, uh, Scorzani, these guys that were, you know, apparatus of the Nazi party that said, 
okay, we're going to lose. We need to start moving assets in industry, in our industrial, some of our industrial assets and some of our monetary assets out of Germany. Mm-hmm. And they started moving it to these countries that were friendly to them in South America. And that's what they did. And by 1945, they had an apparatus set up down there to where they could live quite comfortably. Uh, Bormann, there's some debate. They think he may have died trying to get out of Berlin in 1945. Uh, Scorzani, though, the commando that rescued Mussolini, mm-hmm. he actually did get out. He lived in South America. We know Mingala died in Brazil. Right. In Sao Paulo. I want to hear more about that. How, yeah. how do we know that? Uh, they, found his, they found his skull. They found his remains in the 80s. Oh, okay. Then in they the did, 80s? Yeah. They actually found him then. I think it was like in the early 80s, they found that he he had died, I think, sometime in the 70s. And they dug him up and they did, I think, dental tests, dental and matched it and said it was Mingala. He died down there. So uh, and Eichmann, okay, very famous, you know, the Israelis that kidnapped him out of Buenos Aires in the the early 60s. So, you know, we know all those guys were there. Uh, And we also know, too, that, you know, guys got taken over here. Well, the ones you hear about the most are Werner Braun Braun, all the rocket scientists. Right. The one you don't hear about is that much is Reinhard Galen, who was the chief of German intelligence for the SS. Also one of the commanders of an Einsatz group a unit that went around and killed Jews and mass graves in the Soviet Union in 1941. Mm-hmm. He moved over here to the United States and was a CIA and worked with the CIA because they had all this knowledge about the Soviets. I want to talk about that. And there's other connections, too. Pre-World War II, 1939, Hitler was the man of the year. Right, yeah. Okay. Princeton In, in, in Princeton University, there was a poll that was made that who was the most influential person in the world? Number one was Adolf Hitler. Number two was, was Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. So there was all kinds of... There was all kinds of support over here in the United States for Hitler, especially Henry Ford, who was an anti-Semite to the heart. Oh, yes. Who gave away the protocols of the elders of Zion to anybody that that bought a Model T. And there were Ford Motor Company plants that were producing ball bearings in Germany that our, our planes were not allowed to bomb. Right. This is during the war. Yes. But before the war, there was a lot of connections that were made, especially with some of the guys like Alan Dulles, who was in the CIA, later in the CIA, later in, you know, was part of the Warren Commission, the guy that Kennedy fired for the Bay of Pigs. He had all kinds of connections with the Nazis because they all, and there was all these banking firms that worked for the, that, that, you know, put money, uh, got Nazi money. Uh, and worked with IG Farben and all these uh, these these Nazi affiliated industries, and the uh, grandfather of W. Prescott Bush, the father of, George, of President George Bush, was one of the main middle guys between between Germany and the United States. Several Charles Lindbergh, the great aviator, loved Hitler. Mm-hmm. Well, he was getting love letters on his fiftieth birthday from. Little from like fifteen year old girls saying, "Please yeah. marry me, I love you," and da 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 da. Yep. Yeah, he was well beloved. But um, on that same note, several years ago, more than I want to say, I got into MMA pretty hard, 
and I used to go and train at this dojo, and this old, <laughs> I don't want to say his name, because I don't want him to find me, but... Um, <laughs> He'd the, kick your ass, for sure, I'm sure. Oh my even, God, he even was... Even if he is 90. He was brutal, but he was a Vietnam vet, and um, he would he would do private lessons, and the guy was super interesting, but he, anything you wanted to learn, he would, you know, he'd tell you. Well, yeah, he... Uh, he was big on the traditions of, you know, learning the martial arts, but also, you know, we're doing grappling today. We're doing this, that, and the other. Anyway, um, one day he told me, since he was in uh, Vietnam, he said that a lot of the commanders were actually Nazis from that, you know, that were just like working on our side. And we were like, well, you're, you know. We know that you're like ruthless, so why don't you come and help us out? It in does Vietnam? not surprise as, as shocking as that sounds. It but, does not surprise me anymore. But he mentioned a book, and that's what I wanted to ask you if you'd ever heard of this book that he was talking about. He's like, it's not in print anymore, but they talk all about all of the you know commanders that were actually Nazi war criminals, but they made it out. They're over here, and they were doing terribly brutal stuff to yeah. the Vietnamese. So yeah. it, it it doesn't. Do you know the title of the book? I can't remember it. It it would it would, it would not surprise me because you know we um, one of the things is is that through the Holocaust and through what happened there, the Nazis were able to do all these human experiments, right. stuff that was not allowed. Absolutely not allowed by any law to do human experiments on anybody. But because the Nazis saw the Jews and the Slavs and the Gypsies as subhumans, they felt like they could do it. And the Japanese did the same thing that the Chinese and the Koreans. But don't think that we didn't learn anything from those experiments. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We did. We did learn things from those experiments. Uh, we, it, you, I mean, you know, and, and a lot of those guys were used uh, uh Later on, I mean, they taught, they probably taught all kinds of torture techniques. Uh, we talked about Chile. I mean, look what happened down there. I mean, there was an American supported in 1973, a supported coup against the president who had socialist leanings and leanings towards the Soviet Union. So that's a big no no in 1973, right? Mm -hmm. So Pinochet, the dictator, takes over with CIA and American State Department help. And a lot of the dissidents, including Americans, that were in that that were just kind of swept up. There's a movie, good movie from the early '80s called Missing that's about this. That's excellent, very, very well worth watching. That, but a lot of some of those people were taken to a compound called Colonia Dignidad, uh -huh. and Colonia Dignidad was like was headed up by this guy named Paul Schaefer. Who was <laughs> that? Would be nutty. <laughs> he, he, I mean, this guy was a religious nut. He was a religious fanatic. Mm -hmm. But he had all. He had been a Hitler Youth member. He had all kinds of ties to the Nazi apparatus and to the and to the fascists that were in control of control of Chile at the time. And those guys. And what they would do, they would torture them there at Colonia Dignidad. In fact, wow. there's a movie that just came out with the chick from uh, Harry Potter. Oh, Emma, that's what Emma that's Watson. about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm watching it now. Does she show any cleavage? <laughs> I think she's sort of. She's not much in that department. Uh, <laughs> when, and that's why I respect her. Keep it a natural. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. 
His, that's his conspiracy that She's he has like, to. Is she well endowed? <laughs> Mosquito bites. This is what Luke thinks about all the time. No, it, it's so it's so nice when they don't go like uh, fully. Uh, uh, oh, what would you say? Um, scantily clad, you know. Whenever they they keep everything like nice and neat and orderly looking when they're in movies. Modest. Modest. Yeah, they they don't show too much. Yeah, it's nice. So it, you have to use your imagination. Mm-hmm. The, the question right. whether Hitler survived World War II, you asked me, Renee. We did have a guy on named Gerard Williams, and he actually, um, he's a British uh, reporter, and he actually wrote a book about called, uh, I'll say it, Grey Wolf. There you go. Wolf. Everybody makes fun of my, how I say wolf. Uh, <laughs> say it again. Sh- wolf. Shout out to him. There's no L Grey Wolf. Yeah, wolf. wolf. Like wolf. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he's supposed to be gray wolf. Yeah. Wolf. D- okay. Just try Can saying. Can you wolf. say it with yeah, an try, L? Try it with the L. Wolf. Oh, <laughs> like hard. a plural, a so singular plural. He found his weakness. Wolves. <laughs> he's like hammering off all these names and stuff, and I'm like, oh crap, I can't do any of that. So say, say dances with wolves. Dances with wolves. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he he wrote this book with another guy, and I mean it's pretty convincing huh. to say that they they really think, and they have all this kind of eyewitness testimony that they really think that Hitler survived World War II with and took his Ava Braun down there to Argentina and just then died alone and miserable in the early 1960s, and they think that that actually happened. So Ava now, made whether, it too. How do you know that he was alone and miserable? Well, it's, it's all because they've interviewed these people, that, and also they've interviewed these people, and they've also found the they've also found these documents, and they've also found these weird diaries that that talk about this. I've got to read this book. Yeah, it, I mean, it's mm-hmm. I, I, what I did with that. I actually watched them. He actually sent me uh, a link so I could watch the the kind of like docudrama that they put out, and it was I mean, it was very interesting. It's very convincing. I'm not entirely convinced. But it is interesting. Now, whether or not Obama is the uh, son of Hitler's daughter and Malcolm X, that's a whole other thing entirely. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's, that's, an actual conspir- that's an actual conspiracy. That's an actual conspiracy, by the way. It- <laughs> no, just Grey Wolf. Grey Wolf. Grey Wolf. Oh, Grey Wolf. Singular. Gotcha. <laughs> anyway, I've talked long enough. You need to grill Luke now. Luke. It's Luke's hey. turn. Okay. And what up? <laughs> he lit up when talking about boobs. Maybe we yeah. need to go there. There you go. Well, so many of our guests, if we talk about booty, like they don't, they're doing just what you're doing. They're like sitting there on their phone. You mentioned booty and they light up like it's the like, oh, well, let me tell you all about Jesus. <laughs> so that's what it's like with them. Where are you from, babe? Here. Sweetie. Yep. Keep going. Come on. Here. No. Here. You're not in this garage. You grew up in Nashville. Yeah, you didn't grow up well, in Nashville. It actually, Water up, town. I want to make myself sound more relevant by being a native of Nashville. But yeah, since you want to call me out on it, I grew up in Watertown. Oh wow! Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Go go ahead. Get it out. <laughs> Man, that, it seems like there's always tornadoes going through Watertown. Like that's the only time God I ever hear it. about them. Yeah, God does hate it. Tornadoes in the drive-in. Yeah, that's there's no hope in that town. <laughs> <laughs> there's water and no hope. 
<laughs> right. There, there's, there's actually drugs in pregnancy. That's what there is to do there. But no drugs yeah. to stop the pregnancy, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> What's the drug of choice in Watertown? Um, it ain't Plan B. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> no, nobody can really afford anything other than like crappy dirt weed. So okay, okay. Uh, sounds delightful. <laughs> um, there's more stuff. There's tons of meth there. I, I, um, I never really saw meth there, honestly. Like, I'm sure there's meth there now. Well, yeah, may, maybe, maybe by now. But like, when I was growing up, like everyone was just like real stoners and and uh, pills, pill heads. There you go. Ah, like, they were, yeah. so yeah. heroin's huge there now, right? Uh, well, Opiates. that much. Yeah, Opiates. O- Opiates. It was yeah, yeah it was pills. mainly tabs and stuff like that. Uh, That's O-Panas too expensive now, though. Well, they're prescribed it. You know, uh, there, well, there's ways to. They get went it. doctor shopping. Well, Granny gets a script, and then, you know, there you go. Yeah. Um, I know how it works in Watertown, my friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, tell us, Jeff. <laughs> I, uh, I actually had to be there for a week one time. We were, I was helping shoot a uh, horror film there, and um, a turd of a film. <laughs> but, um, I love hearing about just filming experiences. Yeah, that's where I met Gunnar Hansen. Yeah. Was on that. Uh, <laughs> so a- anyway, though, but they needed a scary house. They needed like a terrifying, you know, uh, chainsaw masker type house. Uh-huh. And so they went to Watertown. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, that whole town is terrifying. There's, there's, it's just like take pictures and it's like you've got scared people. Uh, so many orbs. Uh, so many. Yeah, uh, there there were some really creepy places, man. Like we we would go park our cars and smoke weed at this little like old abandoned um butcher shop. It it it, it was a it wasn't a shop, it was a, like a butcher building. And there were still piles of pig bones and stuff in the corner and you know <laughs> didn't bother to clean it up. Right. Why? There, Why there's do that? there's dirt floors and there's like <laughs> piles of pig bones and there's still like blood all over the sink and stuff. It's just it was weird. Did, Did the butcher kill himself? Rituals in there? <laughs> no, I, I mean it, I just we went there because it creeped us out, you know. So like we'd get stoned and all paranoid first, and then go there to creep ourselves out for fun. Did you ever <laughs> walk out of your front door on a crisp October day and just watch a dream die in Watertown? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, no, not really, because uh, I I don't know why people don't take like antidepressants there, like a lot of them. I kept myself busy with the I mean, I had the computer in my room and if I wasn't watching porn, I'd be watching anime or something like that. So and and I I had a machete and I would like go take out my teen angst on like a whole acre of woods, you know, so things like that kept me busy. Hearing bobcats out in the woods. Yeah. Right. <laughs> gonna read a book today, Luke? <laughs> nah. I'm just gonna go chop some trees down. <laughs> Look at some porn. Go play with my some dirt weed. <laughs> that, chop up some trees. That was life back then. Yeah. It was a simpler time. And it's still like that today. Did you also piss on the dog with that part? Yeah, we, I used to piss on the dog in no. the morning. <laughs> Why did you do well, that? We, we it's, nay, nay, it's Watertown. The dog didn't care. <laughs> the dog did not care. He, he had it. no help. He wagged his tail. I mean, I, I'm... Yeah, he was like, well, this is the only joy I'll feel today. And then that was that. Now, now, 
The real joy that I get out of it is that my mom started petting him later while she was doing her gardening. No, (laughs) did you hate your mom? How do you you feel about your mom? I love my mom. I just thought it was funny. Like I, I love to pick on her. I love to play play pranks on her all the time. (laughs) Urine makes a great prank. I was watching Jackass and CKY at the time a lot, so you know I was like, yeah, you know I'm gonna do something to my parents. Yeah, well, of course. Ah, that goes without. Were you into that? You into little pee and then porn? Mm, it used to be not really? so much. They call it water sport. Not so much anymore. Don't they? <laughs> it, it, yeah. They call it water sport. You're sports, so right? hip to the lingo, Jeff. <laughs> Here come the emails. My, <laughs> my taste has gotten pretty refined these days. Oh, I can't believe you would have those people on your show and never listen. Look, watch, listen again. I can't believe sorry, you would have this on Dark Matter Network. Oh, we can take it out. No, it's all right. Sorry, I don't sorry, care. Sorry. <laughs> no, what I'm talking about is like we, we we've uh, one network that we're on, and, and you know we we really like being on it. And I've gotten some. I've actually gotten uh, a good contact from a guy in Finland who was one of the writers of Iron Sky and had him on the show because he listened to us on that network. But we'll have people that email us that, that will just, you know, say, get kind of upset and offended by like the most just, I mean, kind of things that you wouldn't even think of. Like you guys would be talking about, you know, peeing on people as a sexual act, but these people would be offended because, Luke said the word redneck or something, which was an actually like that a, is an a actual weird. offensive, like, 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 like that was actually offensive. So what I'll think is actually offensive will not be offensive to somebody. Well, and then what and is they're not they're, from they're, the they're, South? They're, they're, very strange. She, it was she very strange. had a point though, because whenever I speak, I kind of bring down the IQ level of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so that's she, why we love you. The point that she was trying to make was that I, I kept on saying redneck in that episode, but there, to me, there is no better term to describe, you know, like the white trash kind of like pers- what we were talking about was pertinent to that. You know what I'm right. saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And saying red- redneck sounds a lot nicer. And than it was white funny trash. because I think like what it was two shows later, we actually had the guy, the Bigfoot hunter guy on that was <laughs> that like you're very proud to call himself a redneck. So, oh, yeah. you know, well, I mean, I think Luke would agree that, like we're both at least like 50 percent redneck too, like. Oh, I totally am. Right. It's these people that they can't they can't laugh at themselves, and this is their little way of control. <laughs> and I apologize for that. But I will say this: this is my favorite thing about you. I love that you moved out of Watertown, and like your porn, like uh, your standards got higher as you moved out. <laughs> well, fantastic. It- <laughs> Uh, along the way, I spoke to some people. Like the who, weeds better and the porns yeah, better. Exactly. <laughs> what else is there in life? Of course, I'm going to move here. <laughs> oh, he's gotten all fanciful now. You come back down here. Yeah, Luke don't know us anymore. He don't know. He's too good for us. You don't even like pee porn anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're going to throw you off the network. I'm sorry. Blame it on me. I, uh, I'm sorry. I just, uh, you know, give out your email address. And we'll I leave. take the... Uh, <laughs> it is... Uh, address that to Jeff Heim. No, uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's gmail.com. It's, it's hot Camaro at yahoo.net. <laughs> yahoo.net. Thunderella at gmail. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy that there was something my friend Heather told me one time that uh, I think she got from another friend of hers that was a lawyer and uh, they were actually trying a case. I think it was a divorce case. And 
this woman was divorcing her husband, and I guess the lawyer for the husband was old and a little bit out of touch and started talking about her emailing guys and made a point of the fact that it was from Hotmail.com. And he started talking about, like, she was on a website called Hotmail.com. <laughs> so I think it had to be explained to him what Hotmail actually meant. That was, I'll tell you, that's my dad right there. That is what my the father. What the hell is Hotmail? Hotmail, what the? Yeah. Oh. My, uh. There, you remember the um, restaurant called Red Hot and Blue? No. Uh-uh. Okay, well, it was it's like a TGI Fridays. Okay. okay. And um, I, I was going to, and this is many, many moons ago, I was going to just get a, like, cook job there. And so I was talking to my dad, and, you know, blah, 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 and I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to just try to get a cook job at uh, Red Hot and Blue. And he's uh, I don't think you should be working there. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's a restaurant. I don't think that that's a good place for you to be. <laughs> so, yeah, my dad is What's so out of touch. Red, hot, I, and blue. <laughs> I met Jeff's dad one time, and Jeff's like, don't mention the show. Don't mention the show. <laughs> what would happen if your dad listened to the my show? My dad does not like curse words. I have <laughs> never heard him say the F-bomb. Uh, he would never say GD. Um, he is not... He will... He does this thing where he takes out all the cuss words, um, like if he stumps his toe, he says, God, son of a piece of pile of mother. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, he will take out the cuss word. He does not cuss. That that upsets mm-hmm. him to like the umpteenth degree. Mm-hmm. Like He will not listen to that. That's the most offensive thing you can do. I hear you. I've always loved dead gummit. It's a great yeah, phrase. I, I like dead, dead, gummit, dead gummit. I was trying to figure out where that came from the other day. Like... Who's the first person to say dad gummit? <laughs> <laughs> and if you slow it down, it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what Luke thinks about when he's not watching porn. <laughs> Were you actually thinking that? The other yeah, I was. <laughs> he's from Watertown. They have a lot of time to, to think. <laughs> I mean, you're surrounded by trees and rocks. I mean... Luke yeah, does have fair. one interesting story about Watertown, but was it Hippie Holler? Oh, yeah, that, um... I've told that story too many times, though. Like, let's move on. They've never heard it, though. Oh, well, <laughs> Charles Manson on his way up to Kentucky, like running from the cops or whatever. He's he stayed down the street at the Devil's Racetrack, which is just like a the opening of a cave, like the big like dome part. I can't remember what it's called, like the cathedral of the cave or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, it, that, uh, sorry. Yeah. For our Czechoslovakian listeners. <laughs> This Czech is, Republic. it's called Czech Republic. Okay. Maybe the, some Slovakia. This is too. called the Devil's Racetrack, and it is a cave yeah. that is in a big circle. Well, well the, you, you know, with cave nomenclature, you know, like the cave opening. Yes, I know it well. <laughs> I'm a spelunker. <laughs> the, the, like the, the cave opening is called the cathedral, I guess, with a dome, you know, by right by the entrance. The you know what I'm saying, right? The entrance of the cave. Right, yeah. I've never heard that it was called the cathedral, but anyway, okay, go ahead. Um, So that was also called the Devil's Racetrack because I guess it was in sort of an oval shape. I oh. looked in there one time, but I, I've never been much of a, a splunker myself, so. <laughs> splunker. <laughs> With all that porn, I <laughs> disagree. <laughs> anyway. That's where I keep my penthouse. hi <laughs> But uh, right, sorry, it got weird. So, so he, he hid out there for a while, and he 
He um he had a relative. All of his relatives lived in like southern Kentucky and in uh, middle northern Tennessee, something like that. But anyway, <laughs> he he, uh, he had a relative at uh, what they call a hippie ho- holler. You know, that was down the street from us, and uh, it it was a weird place. Like it was a bunch of just like naked hippies running around in their private community, but like they were doing some dark stuff over there. So everyone at our school would like dare each other to see like how far they could go like toward toward the commune and stuff like that in their trucks. And they'd come out there, and, you know, stop them turning around. And there's no lights. You know, it's pitch black out there. So you got to like think about the creep factor here. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, and it being in Watertown. Yeah. So so I mean, like they're literally like all butt naked and like doing drugs and stuff out there. So like the hard stuff. It was, it was so creepy. weird. It was creepy. <laughs> so weird. Non-prescription. Drugs. You know, one, one of the things that you guys, uh, time that we got left here, um, you guys will mention our show on the on on Leisure Hour, which greatly appreciated. And you've actually, I mean, Jeff, you asked people, your guests on the show, you ever had any paranormal experiences? And it sounds like to me that you guys have gotten some people who actually have talked about their paranormal experiences on oh, the show. Yeah, it can go either which way. Yeah. Some, it's weird. Some people are just like, mm, no, not really. And others, they light up and they're like, well, let me tell you about this one time. Well, like Val- Val- Bird was my favorite. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the hot spot. Yeah. The hot, yeah. They, uh, it's that's become one of my favorite moments of the show. If I can stay sober long enough to get to, and then get in depth with them, uh, in depth, in depth with them about it, it just depends. Yeah. But um, it usually always sparks a good story and all that kind of stuff. And um, my girlfriend listens because she wants to hear Rob. Um. She likes Rob to talk more. She wishes that he talked more on the show. Um, so, Which is funny because my parents also listen. And when I asked them what they thought, they said, well, Jeff's hilarious. So, they love you. <laughs> it's too bad I can't get my girlfriend to become a fan. But anyway, the... Um, well, yeah, my, no, my wife does not care anything about this show. Yeah, like, my girlfriend she, has she to listen to She's episode. never listened to it, ever. I'm kind of glad my stepdaughter. So don't listens feel bad. <laughs> my stepdaughter listens and she's 13, which is like, please don't listen. And, you know, kids are so savvy with the computers now. They can like write code and, you yeah. know, do it all. Like they can do a website like in five minutes from their iPhone. Whereas me, it's like, uh,. How do I check my emails? So, How do I check my hotmail.com? Yeah. Hotmail.com. My nephew was surfing hotmails. Uh. My, my nephew was surfing around the dark web at fourteen. I was like, Ooh. dude, that's yeah, that's a dirty place. Whoa. You need, you need to stay away from there. That's heavy. I don't even know how you even access that. I don't even want to know. I don't either. I don't I do not want to know. <laughs> really? Truly. That's, I'll hire out for that <laughs> What do you guys think? Uh our current political climate right now. Oh, I can't, Terrifying. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, we've just had the Republican convention and the Democratic convention, so those are both over now. Well, everyone keeps saying that Hillary is evil, and I don't want to alienate any guest, okay? I, there's there's no hate in my heart, but the um, people keep saying that, you know, Hillary is evil and all this kind of stuff, and there were some people that died, you know, Bin Laden and uh, 
Khomeini. He also was killed by. She was part of that, but Gaddafi. Gaddafi, yeah. excuse me. Uh, which I'm cool with that. I think she's fine. I mean, she wasn't my first choice. I think she'll be fine. But on the completely like, are you? You got to be kidding me. The whole Donald Trump thing drives me insane. I yeah. actually read his book back in the early '90s because he. Are you said, talking about out of the deal? Yes. Well, if you remember correctly, he actually claimed that if you read that book, you would become rich. That was his claim. Yeah. So I read One half of the many claims that he's made throughout his life. Uh, yeah, it, uh, but it's all there. All of his stupid little things that he does that are unethical, dumb. He has no discipline. He's just, he's a complete joke. He's a cartoon. But yet people keep spinning this dumb thing that he said. I mean, he said something treasonous the other day. Mm -hmm. And I heard people saying, oh, no, this is brilliant. See, it was just a joke. And, oh, he's got a faulty uh, earpiece and all this kind of stuff. And it just makes me lose more and more faith in our country because this guy is a complete joke. Stop going for your team. Go for Hillary will be fine. I she's not my first choice, but you got to be kidding me with this Trump bullshit. I mean, really, come on. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting because uh, most arguments are not about who's going to be the best president. It's going to be about who's going to be the least evil. Who yeah. is going to be? Yeah. Who Which will, kills me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad it's like nobody really likes either candidate, but. You want to go with the person that's the least but terrible. But I take it so uh, owning a small business, like it gets emotional. You uh, people don't understand how much of a child you become whenever it comes to your business. And whenever somebody flashes Donald Trump in my face and is like, "Oh yeah, he's a great businessman," it's like, "No, you have no idea. You don't know the struggle, man. You you have no clue what you're doing." And Look at his record. It's not yeah. hard to find. Uh, you can go ask any businessman, and he'll be he'll tell you fifty reasons why he's a joke. And it's just this whole like, well, we've picked our team. We've we're going with that. Well, you know the guy that's mentioned. It's funny that you mentioned that book, and we talked a little bit about this a couple of shows ago. Was uh, the guy who wrote up. the guy who wrote Art of the Deal has come out against Trump and has said that he's very scared that Trump could get the nuclear codes and. <laughs> But what we didn't talk about was that he had actually said that when he was going through the process in the late 80s of writing that book, that and he essentially was the one that wrote it, really. I mean, he's a ghost writer. Hmm. Um, he, 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 said that, he said that Trump had a very short attention span, that he could never uh, – he would try to sit down with Trump and ask him questions and say, you know, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? And Trump wouldn't even pay attention to him. He'd go on to something else and he'd lose interest and leave. And finally, he just said, well, I'm not going to take that route anymore. I'm just going to observe him. And that's what he did. And that's and that's how he got to know the subject. And that's how he his subject. And that's how he he got to write the book about so really sad. the book about Trump. You know, well, he's a, if you've ever read the book, it's like it's it's not the cool. He's sort of like he's got that whole like, uh, well, you can only fool him for so long. And that's totally what he does. He doesn't he 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 gets things on credit. He doesn't pay him back. He uh, he lowballs people after the fact. I mean, yeah. he goes back on all these contracts. He's got I, I know of uh, there's a 
pretty famous comedian that his name escapes me right now. His dad did heating and cooling in New York, and he said that he he always hated Trump because Trump would never pay him. Right. He would go and do stuff in his buildings, and then they just he'd invoice them. Trump never paid him. It's this stuff that I just and. In my business, I'm on such a small scale. It's like when people do that, man, that's my livelihood. That kills me. So I take it really, really personal whenever somebody says, "No, Trump, he's going to be great." And you have no idea. I asked, uh, you know, I asked uh, Peter Robbins, who's one of our guests, and we got to talk to him at Paradigm Symposium. He's from New York City, so I like, you know, I asked him about Trump. You know, like, what, what's your thoughts on him? And he told me that one of the things that Trump had done was that there was apparently this. I think sometime in the nineties or maybe early two thousands, there were these, these veterans that were protesting or they were trying to camp out around this area that around Trump tower for some reason. And Trump went over there and, and was very instrumental in getting them kicked out. Yeah. And then now here's Trump now saying, Oh, I love my veterans. The veterans are the greatest thing ever, you know, and all this kind of stuff that he says. And, and, and it's, and it's a complete 180 from what his record actually shows. It's everything's like that. Do you yeah. remember the, um, I think it was a central park three. Do you remember yes. he took out, I know what you're talking about. he took out, uh, the three page ads mm-hmm. in like, I think it was, was it the New Yorker or was it yeah. the New York times? Yeah. Or he New York post ads. or something like that. Yeah. He took out ads and said, they need the death penalty. We need yep. to kill. And they were innocent. I mean, later proven is, innocent. Yes. Yep. And then you add on all this hate stuff. That's like, just seems to be following him around. Well, the latest thing that came out just um, a couple of days ago, cause you had this powerful speech that this, um, guy, I guess he's from Pakistan. That yes. his his son, like his last name was Khan. His son had uh, his son was was killed in Iraq and was a Muslim. And you know he comes out and says that you know my son gave the ultimate sacrifice. And you know what have you done, tr- Mr. Trump? And what and and says you know I have the Constitution here if you'd like to read it. Right. You know talk about all these things that he's Trump is wanting to do as far as like. Pulling people, uh, kicking people out of the country, and all this kind of stuff, and and then Trump comes on the comes on ABC News and says and says, "Well, I've made a lot of sacrifices. I've built businesses. I've made a lot of sacrifices." And and then and then also criticize and then criticizes the the wife for standing next to her husband silent and saying, "Was well, because she's a Muslim and she's not allowed to speak." And like. What a terrible See, thing that to right say. There, and that the, right that's there. the worst thing to say at the worst possible time. That right there should tell you he's a sociopath. He he's, has exactly. That's what we brought up on the last. Yeah. Was they're he, both sociopaths? You you listen or watch that speech, and I mean, most people would get a little misty, a little teary eyed. Uh, you know, that's an emotional thing, right? Whereas Trump, no way. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, I've, well, I look at all my money. Look at all my money that my dad gave me. You know, it's just like, this is embarrassing. I can't believe that we're doing this. So, <laughs> there's <Yeah>. my take. <laughs> so it, That's the one. And, and Hillary, I, I don't really see her as, as, as much better. I mean, I think that we probably would be at least stable if she was a, if if she was the president it would just be basically a continuation of what we've already had would well, it be essentially yeah. much much different uh trump is very much a wild card but I, i'm i'm the type now that i'm just i'm so disgusted with both parties that i've i'm just I've, i vote third party i mean essentially 
I don't know that I actually believe that she's going to be so terrible. I mean, a lot of people have decent reasons, but people keep, I mean, you're my age, people keep forgetting how good we had it in the 90s. I mean, it was pretty awesome. And I keep thinking that, you know, she's wishy-washy on things, and then there's a lot of, like, questionable stuff that she does, which everybody does, and it's just the age of the information right now. And um, people can rip me apart. I don't care. But uh, I I have to say, Bill Clinton was really, really, that was a good time. And so, Yeah, it was a good time in American history. Yeah. How much of it was actually was because of Clinton, I think, you know, you could debate that, but... We could. Uh, he and- could have just been. He could have just been that he just got really lucky. I think a lot of the time that we really, we really do have an emphasis in this country of just like the the president is what defines a certain era. We've gotten yeah. like that now to where, and that's what I think that's the problem. One part of the problem with Trump, especially when he comes out there and he says, "I'm going to fix everything." You know, we 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 think the president is always the is the person to always blame, when really he's just a scapegoat for things that are really going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and then just he can and then just. Just sheer economics. I will. As well. I will say this though: when we had a complete surplus, when Clinton yep. went out, we had all that crap with Kent Starr and all that, which was so dumb. I mean, nobody cared. It was just that was him <laughs> going after something. Now he's getting sued, but um, we had all that going on, and we had a surplus. And then immediately, Bush comes into office. Suddenly, the economy is like in the crapper. I mean, we're suddenly going down, down, down so fast. Uh, these, you know, Halliburton, all these things are just happening. All of a sudden we're in a war and all that. And so that's why I say, it's like, please bring back the Clinton era. I'm cool with that. (laughs) That's my only thing. Well, I, I think that's uh, that's about it, guys. But I really want to ask you. Thank too, you for having us on the show. Hey, thank you for having us on your show. This is super fun, <laughs> and we will do it anytime. What's the future for you guys? What do you want to like? What's what's next for y'all? We want to start a network with you guys. Absolutely, that's what we want to do, and we want to grow it and get a Tennessee podcast uh, because this, I think, is the future of radio. Yep, I agree. And so, so stay tuned, Rob. Anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, how are we you are cl- also part of both. How are we going to close the show? Oh God, I don't know. Have you ever had beforehand. a ghost experience? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Now it's another two hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to do this again because we barely scratched the surface tonight. Well, I'll tell you what, Lukey over here can take us out. Aren't, yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah, all the time, man. By the way, I also want to say I have. A love for Watertown. That's why I put it down. It's it is it is out of love because I spent that week there. So. All all jokes aside, it, it is a pretty charming place. It is it is actually charming. I, I give it a hard time because I love. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Uh, thanks for putting up with us. Um, come back and listen to us again. And guys, uh, next week, <laughs> far as uh, conspiranormal goes, we're going to have Chris Putnam come back, Luke's favorite guest. Woo-hoo! Talk about some more, talk about some more popery. <laughs> That's popery, not popery. popery. So, oh. Renee, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, Jeff, thank you for thank coming you. on as well. Anytime. And uh, guys, we will see you next time on Cons- Conspiranormal Leisure Hour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I see that one well. <laughs>
You've been listening to The Leisure Hour. For more great episodes, check out www.hourleisure.com. That's ourleisure.com. And for your convenience, you can also find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. And feel free to send us any comments or suggestions at ourleisure at gmail.com. And we will see you all next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.